Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that this week proves that while superheroes can come back from the dead, their franchises can't. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me are... James Hunt. And Reese Williamson. Uh, it's it's the old gang back together. Uh, today, um, anticipating the uh, release of Black Widow uh, by discussing two of the first female-led superhero movies from the early noughties. Um, that is 2004's Catwoman, directed by Pitoff. And 2005's Electra, which was directed by Rob Bowman. Uh, but before any of that, I'd like to ask James to explain a comic book concept that I just don't understand. And James, this week I would like to know, which superheroes do and do not go down on their partners? <laughs> oh god, oh god. I'm going to get so cancelled for this answer. <laughs> um... <laughs> Obviously, this Can was... Can we give some background to the yeah. discussion? <laughs> no, a, we should have. There was, there was uh, a Harley Quinn cartoon, and the showrunners were being interviewed, and they um, made reference to wanting to include a scene where Batman goes down on Catwoman, and they were told by DC higher-ups that uh, that's not something that Batman does. And uh, for me, uh, a, a kind of... An, it, <laughs> An interesting controversy because I, I think maybe if the if the feedback from DC had just been look, Batman's a kid's character and we've decided that we don't want to include oral sex when we are talking about his character. It it, it had a whole DJ Khaled vibe to it. So um <laughs> this is what this is what's prompted it. But I I, I think it, it raises an interesting question um about um sexuality in superheroes and and whether and when when they are allowed to be sexual um who are the more like you know explicitly sexual superheroes and um you know it, it, do you do you agree with that sentiment maybe that the reason for batman not to go down on catwoman is because it is in some part a kid's property or is it just like this I is mean, a this is a, Harley, this is a Harley Quinn cartoon? To an extent, yes. But also, they showed Batman with his dick out in a comic maybe a year and a half ago, if that. Okay. Um, and you know they've shown Harley Quinn topless in a different Batman comic, so it's not really? like they're that. Oh, that's grim. Yeah, 
Yeah, although in fairness to them, they did... Uh, these were Mature Readers comics and they did later decide, actually, we're not going to reprint those because that was a bad idea. Okay. So in reprints, the art's been edited. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's not like they're trying to prevent some genie getting out of the bottle here. Yeah. It's, um, a, it's a weird thing in our culture, though, isn't it? That you can be like... Um, this character that kids might enjoy, um, you know, can go around beating the shit out of out of criminals. <laughs> the mentally ill. Yeah, but 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 cannot be shown to be engaged in any kind of sexual conduct. Yeah, the thing is, I think it's more an American culture thing as well. Like American media tends to be quite puritanical with its depiction of sex and sexuality. Bizarrely, like you know, it can do anything but show physical acts happening. Um, I I think maybe, maybe that's as, changing. I mean, I don't know. Like you know, when you think about, and I know they're kind of interlinked, but when you think about what the BBFC will and won't classify in terms of you know, yeah. like language violence, sex. Um, yeah, that's fair. You can get through a lot more language and sex before uh, and violence before you get to sex. Yeah, I mean, my my take generally is that Batman absolutely would go down on someone and he would be <laughs> excellent at it because he's Batman. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, it fits with the character. Who are the sexiest it's heroes? Like, it, who, are the, who, who are the sexiest who, heroes? Who are the most generous lovers? Uh, I mean, Daredevil gets a lot, so he must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, maybe the fact that he is visually impaired means that people are just less subconscious around him. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. Um, there is, he's... there's a mutant character called Stacy X, whose power is to make you horny with pheromones. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I mean, I think we've probably talked before about how a lot of, a lot of Chris Claremont era X-Men characters have this weird sort of BDSM vibe. Like you read those comics from sort of the the early 80s and you go like, I can definitely tell what Chris Claremont is into. And <laughs> he is not shy about putting it on the page. Yeah. I mean, some, That's where the Hellfire Club and Emma Frost came from. So. Someday on this podcast we'll... We'll definitely have to talk about Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, which, you know... We will. Um, good movie. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and interesting that one of, you know, that one of those characters um, is, yeah, it just has, you know, such explicit sexuality baked into her conception, I guess. Indeed. Um, I'm trying to think on the big screen. I guess De- Deadpool has that big sex montage. And was quite yeah. was quite sex positive as well in the way that in, in in that depiction of that relationship. Yeah, I think the on screen the characters are fairly chaste. I mean, occasionally you get them, you know, openly having sex on the page, but it's all, you know, age all age appropriate. Say it's normally just people in bed together. Um, and I'm wondering if the MCU even has that. I'm trying trying to think. Is the MCU just very very yeah. chaste? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of any. Yeah, I mean nothing. Uh, Les- nothing Leslie for me. Bibb. Leslie Bibb, beginning of Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. and Peter bed. Quill, and they are very yeah. similar scenes, aren't they? Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. It's okay to have sex with someone if it, if you are doing it for the wrong reasons. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> if you're doing it to show you are a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, it's yeah, good that it's, I it's good. At least it isn't this, you know, monocultural uh, thing, the mentee that, that will, you know, <laughs> be putting these ideas into the minds of 
of all humans uh, I... across the planet. <laughs> <laughs> I still think the horniest thing we've seen in a superhero film was Mira and Aquaman kissing. <laughs> mm. okay. I think you lobbied hard for that to be uh, the best couple in in the cuppies that year, based purely on that guess. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was very well done. Okay, um, let's let's move on to the comic book news section, and we're going to start with um, a trailer that we wouldn't have been able to talk about if we'd recorded this when we originally planned to, but because we had to move back the recording, we are able to talk about the. Uh, the first, like, full-length trailer, first official trailer rather than a teaser, for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, this looks fun, guys. I mm. thought this looked really fun. <laughs> we, we got to see the Ten Rings. We did, and the rings yeah. look great. Yeah. I, di- I didn't... I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, <laughs> I didn't know the rings were a physical thing, so that was an interesting... Well, was, that was <laughs> it was a surprise to me, I'll, I'll tell you that much. Um... <laughs> I was expecting I w- the Ten Rings to be the Mandarin's rings right. from the comics, mm-hmm. uh, but apparently not. Are they actually hand rings, or those rings are worn on the fingers, and like each of them has a different ability? Um, right. Which may be the case here. I don't know. I'm if not that, really sure what these rings are. That but... feels a bit Infinity Gauntlet to Infinity me. Stones, yeah. They are very Infinity Stone esque. Whereas this, I, I don't know. The vibe I got <clears> here is like. Cool, cool power gauntlets that you wear on your arms. Yeah, they just look. I mean, I they, see... they looked cool. That's why. That's that in, was my main takeaway. In the trailer, do we see? Do we just see um, the Mandarin wearing them, or are they on Shang Chi at any point? I can't I remember. I think now. they're just on the Mandarin. Uh, go back it, to the, the, the last Mandarin? time we. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I think that, it is. That's the Tony Dung, isn't it? Yeah. Is that announced? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought yeah. it was. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so going back to the last time we talked about Shang, when the first teaser came out, we talked about, was he going to have a pa- Was he going to have a power? I think I made a mad bet that he was going to be Iron Fist for no good reason. <laughs> no, no one made me make that bet. Um, but I'm wondering if, do you, you know, I wonder whether this, this movie ends and he has those ten rings and that's, that gives him the extra juice that, that, that he might need. Seem, uh, seems likely, scene. doesn't it? Seems like that will give him the ability to be slightly more than just a kung fu guy. Um, although watching this trailer, I was like, "Boy, I hope they're paying royalties to Jackie Chan for this." Yeah. Just all the stunt work made me think Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan. I mean, you are more familiar with that type of cinema than I am, James. Whereas I'm just like, "Oh, that's martial arts." <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was. It was the specificity of it, like the the reactions and the the way he was tumbling around. I mean, maybe maybe Jackie Chan is speaking to a wider tradition that I'm unaware of. Hmm. But having watched a lot of his movies, I just I got very strong Jackie Chan vibes. Hmm. So um, going back briefly to the power thing, we mm-hmm. there's there is obviously the rings themselves have power. But there also seems to be some stuff around like mastery of elements here because you see Michelle Yeoh, who I think is his mum, uh, she's like manipulating like wind and leaves, and there's the scene she, where she's the, an airbender. She's an airbender, and then there's a waterbender scene, um, yeah. and and then in that kind of in that shot 
towards the end of the trailer where Shang-Chi is facing off against his dad, there is like there is something he has like some power. Um and I don't know whether maybe he's managed to get hold of some of the rings or whether he does have some inherent superpowers himself. It's it's tricky to know. And also, you know, <laughs> We know from previous Marvel trailers that if there is anything that's spoiled, like if, if for instance, in that scene, Shang-Chi in the movie might be wearing half of the rings, uh, but they've probably <laughs> CG'd them out as so as not to spoil it if that is the case. So it's it's idle speculation at the moment, but it does seem like, you know, it's not just straight Kung Fu, is it? It's... it's... Super Kung Fu. Yeah. <laughs> um... Uh, some of the things less the... Aquafino, which is a shame, right? Yeah, yeah, but that make I, I think that makes sense just in terms of okay. how you're marketing it. You know, like you, your first one is more yeah. is more the character, like a bit a bit of fun, whereas this one is let's dial up the action and the marveliness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we've, the got tri- shirt, we've got a shirtless shot, which I, I don't I don't think that was in the teaser, but you know, <laughs> classic MCU int- introduced superhero thing. Yeah, he's got a shirt off. He's buff, cool, meme. <laughs> and the other MCU stuff, um, the abomination was the thing that the internet seemed to get the most excited about. Uh, yeah, looking, that looking was odd. A little bit different. I mean, we already knew that that character was coming back for for She Hulk. Yeah. For She Hulk, yeah. Um, Again, that this this weird this weird kind of like. Do you remember how baffled we were when William Hurt came back? Mm. Um, and yeah, just just continuing to. It's almost as if Marvel is like uh, these kind of forgotten entries. It would be good if they were slightly less forgotten. So let's really mm. double back on stuff like Thor: The Dark World and The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. But yeah, the Abomination's back for like a, a, a cage fight. Um, what did that give you more vibes of? Um, Spider-Man or um, Thor Ragnarok? I mean... The thing I thought of was X-Men Apocalypse, where they're having mutants fighting in cages. And I was like, oh, we're going back to this ultimate super fighting, are we? Genuinely forgotten about that like, yeah even you saying it now i can't think of what angel that is. angel fights nightcrawler i think or angel fights someone oh yeah yeah okay now i do remember yeah do we think we'll see tim roth in in it you know will we see abomination on on a on a bomb a bond i don't think so <laughs> i think he's permanently like that now i'd be surprised if tim roth comes back at all except for a voice cameo well was it yeah, yeah was isn't he He's was, been announced for... Was, was he announced as She-Hulk? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. was. Hmm. Okay. But, I mean... Interesting. If, if, if I'm remembering um, The Incredible Hulk correctly, he's just fully the abomination, isn't he? I don't think he can change Well, we don't know... We don't know he can change back, but maybe he can. I love a bit of Tim Roth. I'm, I'm, the more Tim <laughs> Roth in the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. For I me, rewatched Incredible Hulk quite recently, and... Oh. Like, yeah... <laughs> because because Joe, my girlfriend wanted to do a chron- uh, not a chronological a release order rewatch of the MCU, and I okay. happily obliged. Yeah, okay. I'll we just you. rewatched Thor yesterday. 
I vowed the last time I watched The Incredible Hulk that that had to be the last time. (laughs) So many times I can watch this terrible movie in in service of watching the MCU movies in order. No, but going back to what you were saying before about, you know, plucking things from the lesser liked films and putting them into the new stuff that you like more. And this is different, but I did find myself the other week, you know, watching watching the second episode of Loki. It it ended and I was like, oh, I I just want a little more of this and then I watched Thor Ragnarok which I liked at the time but it, it, it you know when it's all on Disney there's the, there's the Disney Plus thing where you know you could see a, I could see a scenario where She-Hulk season 1 episode 3 and there's just some some kind of link to that movie and you're drawn back in you know the little algorithm goes oh hey you might want to watch yeah. this little movie and yeah. you know that that it's just smart the way it I think I think they I think Feige has an eye on that of, of yeah you know, I'm I, the more times people spend sure on Disney Plus watching all of it, of it. Mm. so I, I was uh, I was on Disney Plus earlier today mm. and I was uh, clicking around and saw that there was yeah a Loki collection which you, you know mm. you click the little tile and then there are all of the movies that feature Loki in them mm. handily handily can, uh, you know mm. put together for you. Lots of people went did back it... and rewatched Age of Ultron during One Division, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. Poor them. <laughs> did uh, did we notice that the Abomination, who is now sporting a more comics accurate design, I should point out? Um, well, I mean, if any character was in need of a design, <laughs> yeah, um, he was also fighting a wizard, who some people think is Wong, but I think is just a wizard, a Doctor Strange wizard, but not Wong. Why not Wong? Uh, I just think if it was Wong, they might have shown him in a bit more prominence. So you went, ah, oh, Wong's in it. Um, is That's there a any... selling point, right? Uh, I guess, but, but like, wrong. but they don't really make much of a thing out of the abomination either. It just feels like a very like, like just a, a thrown in shot at the end. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know if I. I mean, even... it's it's enough for you to notice it's the abomination. So yeah, we'll I, see. I mean, I saw it trending before I saw the trailer, so I, I knew. <laughs> So I, I was surprised. I watched the trailer and I, I, I didn't see this at all. And this conversation, I've been like, I guess I just have to believe these guys when they say he was in it because I. I was surprised that Abomination was trending and not Razor Fist. Is is that? I, well, I'm going to guess that's the guy he's fighting <laughs> on the bus. Yeah, you know the guy who has a razor for a fist. Yeah, the guy with the razor fist, Joe. I don't know if yeah. you know the razor <laughs> on the fist. Do you know the character Razor Fist? I just just have you know Google it. <laughs> I'll have a think. <laughs> Tell us about Razor Fist, James. Uh, I mean, he's got sorry. a razor on his fist. He has, <laughs> he has razors for fists. Can I? Is is he this movie's um, Batroc the Leaper? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in which case, I look forward to seeing him in season four of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, yeah. In, in fairness, in fairness to Razor Fist, he was actually introduced in the Master of Kung Fu series, right? Um. So there is a solid link to the character there. There's also then, a really good. There's actually a really good Razor Fist movie from the '90s where he goes to. Um, it's set in the 1950s, and he goes and he kind of cuts hedges and falls in love with Winona Ryder. It's really, really good. Oh, you should check that out. <laughs> you should check that out. It's decent. That's, that was all right. A oh. <laughs> um, couple of other things I wanted to ask about. Uh, there's a giant lion. There's a like a a dragon. Is that can that be Thin Fang Foom or is that just a dragon? Can what? it? Yes. Um, is it? I have no idea. 
I haven't seen enough of the dragon. A question I first asked while watching the trailer for Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Yeah, and back could, then it was a definite no. Fin now, now it could be anything. Um, the thing about Fin Fang Foom, right, is that he's not a dragon. He's an alien who looks like a dragon. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so he could be. It, this could be the scroll version of Fin Fang Foom. I mean, I would be very surprised if that's a scroll, but it could be. <laughs> who's your who's your bets for who's a scroll in Shang Chi? Just based on, just based on the trailer. Okay. Rings three and eight for me. Those for me, those are scrolls. <laughs> those are the scrolls. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll move on to our next bit of um, comic book and TV news. And uh, this is uh, news that when I told James, he went, You what? Um, Silk has a showrunner. And James said that because he didn't know that Silk was happening. And I've got to admit, I'm not sure I did either. Um... <laughs> Tom Speziali, who uh, apparently was um, an executive producer on an HBO superhero show that cannot be named, um, he is going to be show running, yeah, a, a Silk live action TV show, um, which is apparently going to be made in collaboration between Sony Pictures and Amazon Prime. Sony and Amazon Prime, two names that two great names that taste great together. This feels weird. It feels yes. it feels weird because, well, I mean the Sony Spider Man stuff, the non MCU Spider Man stuff, I think already has a real weird vibe to it, and so mm-hmm. I like I. I I think there's some of those characters that you go, and I think Venom was one to a, to an extent where you go, does this just feel weird doing this and not mentioning Spider-Man? And, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, is Tom Holland going to be showing up in a, in a Silk TV show on Amazon Prime? No. I think probably <laughs> I not. I can tell you no. <laughs> so, then, so then you've got to assume that the, the setup for the show is just like, Oh, here is a superhero cult called Silk. Let's watch her on, on her adventures. Or we're in the multiverse now. This is one of the Spider-Man multiverses, and this is this universe's Spider-Man. She's called Silk. She's her name's Cindy. And we go from there. Because, like, when I read when I, when I read Silk's introduction in the comics, which this is you know rare when I when I can be the one dropping this, but it's like she's explicitly tied into Spider-Man's origin. Yeah, she's she's bitten by the same spider that bit Peter. Yeah, and then turns up and is like, "Hey, weird, right? <laughs> I've been kind yeah. of lo- locked away somewhere for all this time, but here I am. I've got the same powers as you, um, and I guess I'll go off and do vaguely Spider-Man-y things because yeah, I've got to be fair, vaguely the same power set." <laughs> yeah, to be fair, the character is reasonably popular. People like her. Um, you know, she occupies uh, a good position in the Marvel Universe in that she's a sort of Asian-American superheroine and there aren't many of those around. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely a character you would want to develop. Not sure Amazon Prime TV show is the the way I'd want to do that, given the options. But I mean, Amazon Prime is the home of the boys, which is one of the 
more successful superhero shows. Of yeah, it's the home of the boys and Invincible, so you can only assume she's going to be squashing someone's head within the first episode. <laughs> uh, obviously, I think you know. I think it's more Sony needed a distribution partner, and <laughs> and we saw what happened with Marvel and Netflix. Yeah, sorry, Cause so because Sony's the one. Sony's the one still major studio without you know without its own platform. And so it's the it's the interesting one where you know, and then you've got obviously the Spider Man Marvel of it all, but like those two Universal you know, doesn't creates have a, a bit of a. Right? Um, sorry, yeah, that's right. Fine, yeah, it was one of the two. <laughs> but but you know, it doesn't. It, so it has to make all these quite piecemeal, you know, these sort of piecemeal deals, and and you know, you could you could see that if they made it, if they made a you know a Penny Parker show and it, it ends up somewhere else random like Netflix it's all it's all it's all just a bit random which but, but it, you know and I don't, and I'm I'm not sure they have they have a particular plan really I, I think Spider-Verse's success and Venom's success met, meant that whoever's running the the Spider-Man stuff over there probably got an increased budget and an increased green light to just tr- try and do more things but I, I wonder whether they're just like mm. yeah fine and we'll do a Silver Sable movie and we'll do a Silk show sure and then we'll do we'll you know we'll do a Venom we'll do a Venom you know sequel with Carnage in it and then that could lead to other things who knows who knows let's try it I think what's interesting to me is that when the Sony hack leak happened and that was you know the back end of The Amazing Spider-Man <laughs> and there was you know there was all these leaks of these crazy projects that they were pursuing and, you know, like Silver and Black was one of them and a, a, a young Aunt May movie. And back then, all, oh, like God. all of these things just seemed like completely insane. And why would you ever make them? And like, I think if like a Silk TV show had been included in that, you'd have been like, what the fuck is Sony doing? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but in 2021, where, you know, all anyone wants is content... Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they make a Silk TV show and it's not very good, or not many, pe- oh, not, not many people watch yet, like kind of who cares? I don't. I think that TV that like the streaming landscape is so. It, it's you, there's just so much stuff that if something turns up and it's not great, then it's just all all it costs is what Sony are putting into making it. Because you know, like did did it hurt Marvel that? Cloak and Dagger and the Runaways didn't have a cultural footprint. No. So this is what I call this is the, this is what I refer to as the Krypton factor. Krypton existed, <laughs> ran for I don't know twenty years. Who cares? Like I, you know that's I've, that for me. I said that before. That's a watershed moment where that was a show that existed and I, I, and nobody cared, including me. And if you'd have told fifteen year old Reese, there'll be a show. It'll be called Krypton. It'll be about Krypton, and you aren't going to watch it. I'd be like. Futurist, you crazy, you crazy, <laughs> uh, and here we are, the Krypton Factor. Yeah, I think the only yeah, thing that makes it fair. seem messy in any way is actually the fact that we kind of, at this point, have an expectation that things will be linked and will have shared DNA and universe and stuff. And so, you know, if if at the end of the day, what they are making is a completely standalone Silk TV show, which is an excuse to make. A Spider-Man TV show with, as you said, an Asian American female as the lead instead. All right, great. <laughs> that's yeah. That's, like I guess it could. Okay, I think it could end up being like, you know, something they link in later. It could be their Mutant X, which is that it's a TV show that is notionally X-Men related, but also not in any way X-Men related. 
Yeah. Or well, like, the, so or we'll like get, all the, we'll, the, we'll, the Flarover <clears throat> stuff that is now all part of the same universe as, as the DCEU. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just a nod and a wink, isn't it? Rather than... But but you know we'll, we'll get to it. To but for our main, we'll get to it for the main discussion. But we are we are talking about two of those kind of projects today, right? We, you know, Catwoman and Elektra <laughs> mm. are sort of are, you know Elektra maybe more because it's she was in the Daredevil movie. But you know, and we'll get to it. But there's there's no reference to to that film in in Elektra. And similarly, Catwoman, you know, that's the kind of Silk to Spider Man equivalent. You would sort of think, oh, how could you possibly do a Catwoman movie with with Properly, properly, no link at all. But, but you know, that exists. We, I watched it yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will move over now to um, a video game adaptation. We got our first look at the Guardians of the Galaxy video game. Um, did either of you guys play the Avengers game? I That's did not. I did. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> so... It was so uh, the, bad. So crap. What a crap game. The thing that I wonder with with that trailer and then the you know what this this first look we've got of this Guardians of the Galaxy game is has it become really like the MCU versions of these characters are for the most part I would say now the most famous depictions of those characters. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're going to make an Avengers game, or you're going to make a Guardians of the Galaxy game, does it not make sense to try and move away from the MCU version more significantly than these games are doing? Because it, it, it they just have... I bet they can't. I'm, sh- I'm sure they can't. I'm sure that part uh, of see, the I... deal... I think it's sort of the opposite, which is that they're like saying, sure, you can do a Guardians game. But it can't be too close because we don't want people thinking it's anything to do with the movies. Like, well, no, I, I you can't have. Kind of like you it's... can't have the cast. You can't even look like the cast. They can look like the characters. So here's as close as you can get, and that's what people are doing. I think. I mean, because because I think that this this single image of the Guardians of the Galaxy game is kind of like, in terms of, it's like MCU Uncanny Valley, right? It's mm-hmm. it's recognizably like it's that team it's those characters they kind of look like those characters but they also just don't look like them enough that i'm like oh i don't mm, no and yeah i i just don't think i would play that i like it just makes me wonder why why not just swap out a couple of members of the team or why not add another member of the team or and and yeah i mean i i joked to uh, past and future guest Al Kennedy on Twitter when he was tweeting about this picture that um, Drax looks like Chunkle Fester. <laughs> He's uh, it, kind of gross and unpleasant to look at. And, yeah. Um, I, I find the approach to these games odd. Really odd. What so I will Spider-Man. say... Just, just quickly, what I will say about mm. this game is that it's being made by people who are a better studio than the people who made the Avengers game. Mm. And the game is going to, I believe, follow a sort of Mass Effect type model where there's some story, some missions, some role-playing aspects, some action stuff. So it's going to be more suited to the property than, say, the Avengers game was. Um, 
So there are reasons to think this will be better than Avengers. I admit visuals, it does look a bit like, you know, we have the Guardians of the Galaxy at home. Yeah. Like that meme. So then again, the Spider-Man games, as I think Reese was about to bring up, were similar and they play excellently. So, yeah. And I was going to say that that's the, you know, that they do a really great job of, of it feels like its own thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's maybe the difference is that with Guardians, you only have you basically that's... have the comics versions and you have the film versions. Where Spider Man, you have you do already have multiple, you know, yeah, Spider Men in in the past, right? And I think the same is true of Batman, right? You already have we, mm. we already know mm. that there are you know X different acceptable versions of those characters. Whereas for this and for the Avengers and those specific teams, we only really have that one version in mind. Yeah. The so other, I the last thing I'll say about this game maybe it'll be good. is that it sort of it seems like what the game will be like. Hey, hey, Gamora can do this cool sword thing, and Drax is really strong, and Rocket's Rocket's, Rocket's got all the weapons. Oh, do you play as any of those characters? Oh no, you play as Peter Quill. He has two guns. And he can, make the other, <laughs> he can make the other characters do the cool thing, and then oh, what, you, what can you do? You have these two small guns, and you can. Fight. There was a there was an X Men game on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 called X Men Destiny, where you didn't play as any of the X Men. Oh, wonderful! Like, you could select one of like three or four original characters to play oh, in the X Men universe. Terrible! It was a bad call. I played it, and the game was fine, but like. You just spent the whole time being like, I wish I wish I was playing an actual X-Man character. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that gets back to the original the, the first point on this, which is maybe if, if you buy a Guardians game in when it comes out and you know this year, you, you just want to play as the Guardians from the movies. That is what you want. Yeah. That is what you want. And so as the developer you, you, you kinda of have to give the customer that. Well, we shall see. I probably won't play it. Um, I don't play many games, though, to be fair. Um, <laughs> back to, um, you know, actual live-action Marvel stuff. Um, Jamila Jamil has been cast as Titania in the She-Hulk show. Titania. Um, oh, did I get Titania. that again? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Razor fist. Razor oh. fist. <laughs> James told me how to pronounce... I've already forgotten it. T- Titania. 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 No, that's isn't that what I said to begin with? <laughs> no. Titania, you said. Titania. Titania. <laughs> like the Queen of the Fairies. So I got both. Bo- I got the both. I got both syllables wrong. Yes. Right. Okay. And can I tell you where I think we will hear this joke again in the She-Hulk TV show? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know anything about that. Um, about that character I, I think like most people uh, I'm most familiar with Jamila Jamil from The Good Place and then more tangentially I remember her as a presenter of T4 when I was a teenager um, <laughs> that's did, my good place is this uh, is this uh, is this a character that makes sense for her is she do we expect her to be a big part of the series and who can I expect Simon Amstel to be cast as? Absorbing <laughs> Man! <laughs> yeah, so Titania's thing is that she's like in a couple with the Absorbing Man. Um, okay. Who was a, obviously uh, a very early character on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. 
I bet you that yeah. was referenced by the TV show. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, dubious 100%. He also <laughs> was who Daredevil's dad for in the boxing match. Crusher Creel, yeah. Yeah, in, in the Daredevil TV show. Doesn't make a lot of sense unless he's really old in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But anyway, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> we will. <laughs> we may. We won't. Please, no. No. Um, I, I th- so Titania's thing is that she is big and strong like She-Hulk. Um, As in, I'm... like, actually, like, is she just big and strong or is she, like, green and super-powered? She's just big and strong. She's oh, okay. uh, traditionally um, had, like, red hair rather than anything else, but... Um... She's a really rich character. She's strong and she has red hair. <laughs> <laughs> and is she is she a villain? She's mostly a villain. She's one of those people who sort of flip flops a bit. So like sometimes she'll turn up and she'll be a kind of anti hero. I believe at the moment uh she's in Gamma Flights, so she's appearing in um Immortal Hulk as okay. a sort of pseudo good character. I guess the the um, interesting thing to me in the in terms of the casting is just I, I, and I'm sure that this will um, be very evident when they go on the promotional trail for this show. Um, Jamila Jamil must be a foot taller than Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> like this, she Tatiana Maslany is a small lady, and Jamila Jamil is not. Um, so I wonder. I'm, I'm very. I'm still interested to see how they're going to depict She-Hulk in this show. And whether it is going to be a Mark Ruffalo Hulk style or Professor Hulk style thing, or whether they're going to do something more realistic, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean in the in the comics, James, she she Hulk pretty much with exceptions, but broadly that she is she is she Hulk all the time. And if they go and she looks, she's sort of a, she's a bit bigger than Jennifer Walters. Jennifer Walters, is that her name? yeah, yeah. Uh, but not, she's not like the Hulk. And I, my guess is that what this will be is a, they'll paint her green. They'll paint, they'll paint Maslany green, basically. Digitally. Uh, um, mm, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, makeup. I think they'll give it. They'll like kind of. Uh, she'll look a bit like Gamora. I think. I think She Hulk herself will be CGI, but mm. she won't appear much. I think She Hulk will be Jennifer Walters a lot. Mm. Which is again, there there was a long period of She Hulk history, a sort of thirty year period where it was the case that she preferred being She Hulk and so just didn't change back. Um I think the original incarnation of the character was just more Hulk like, and I think the current incarnation is a bit more like that as well. Um So you know, I can, they're trying I can, I can definitely see the 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 uh, you know, back back to the casting. I, I I can already see it, you know if Jamila Jamil's doing a maybe she's not but a character a bit similar to um, to the Good Place character I can see that completely playing off of like a kind of a type A sort of strung out uh, Tatiana's Maslany Jennifer Walters lawyer character mm. right? I can see that to me that that work that's a I can see that dynamic especially if this show is is going to be more comedic which is kind of what we understand the expectation it to be. Yeah. yeah 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 I, and I've got to say there's my guess is that Jamila Jamil will be playing somewhere close to her good place character, but that's only because that's all I've ever really seen her do. Um, yeah, I've got to say, there's nothing about Jamila Jamil who's 
you know, who is very funny, uh, seemed to be a very good actress in The Good Place. There's nothing about that performance, which is the only one I have to go on, that says Titania to me. So I think whatever they're seeing in in her must be a fit for the take of on Titania they're doing. And I can only assume from that that it's going to be very different to the comics version. But who knows? Very sad to report that Jamila Jamila is, in fact, only five for eight. So she obviously just presents as tall. Um, <laughs> but... Tatiana Maslany is 5'4", so I feel at least half vindicated. Um, so that was uh, that was the, I'm just going to say, the She-Hulk news. Um, and then final bit of news, which I think is um, most important for James and I in terms of podcast admin. Uh, Disney mm-hmm. Plus um, have confirmed that, that Wednesday will now be the release date for its original shows uh, for Marvel and Star Wars. Um, obviously it was Friday to begin with they moved it to Wednesday because they didn't want I think it was going to be the Loki finale was going to clash with Black Widow um, and Although ironically, ironically now Black Widow is opening in the UK on the Wednesday yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've got my ticket but you know I think it, it obviously makes sense that most of these shows started coming out while cinemas weren't open and actually um, hopefully it looks like Films will continue to be released on Fridays in cinemas um, in future. Such what? Um, I think we'll just be happy if films continue to be released in cinemas. Yes. Um, yeah. That well, that was the bit that I was relieved about. That, that Friday, I could give or take. Um, but yeah. So obviously, they've they've made the decision to permanently switch those days to Wednesdays. Uh, so James and I flipping around our schedule. Um, in terms of recording our Patreon episodes. Um, just a quick question, and I, I'm interested if you guys have the same same take as I do on this. It's felt to me like the buzz around Loki, which I'm you know, mostly taking from Twitter, hasn't been quite as rabid and visible as it was for the shows that were released on a Friday. I feel like that Friday morning, Friday night vibe, it just seemed like it caught a lot of people watched it that day. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know whether, like, once... And, and that it kind of sustained itself throughout the weekend. And now the... Yeah, I just... I'm not seeing that same level of buzz for Loki, but I'm not sure if yeah, less people... Yeah, I don't know. Not sure if I less think... people are watching it. I just wonder if it has well, okay, so affected this is... the discourse. I, I read some news that Loki apparently had the biggest like first week episode one streaming uh, viewing figures for Disney. So if we believe that, like Loki is one of, if not their biggest streaming shows. But who told you that, James? Was his name Walt Disney? And my point, <laughs> my, my point being, you you know that you can't. I just don't think you can really trust. Netflix told trust me that Jupiter's that. Legacy was the second most watched <laughs> show on its platform that week. <laughs> but the I mean, first I think eight if, seconds were viewed by nine million accounts. I think if <laughs> Disney, I think if Disney Plus are saying Loki was our biggest show in its first week, like you have to assume that more people are watching it than turn, turned up for Falcon and Winter Soldier or Wonder Vision, which makes sense because neither of those have Tom Hiddleston in, right? Yeah. I, I, um, and, that, and that would have been my expectation going into that. You know, if you'd have said those three shows, who's going to, which is going to get watched the most, I would have said Loki. Yeah, but yeah, but I, I do, I do feel feeds, like I've heard less. 
Yeah. Yeah, certainly on my Twitter feed, a lot fewer people are waking up and like dropping spoilers at 8.30 a.m. like they were with WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. So yeah. something is different. I mean, maybe part of it is that the novelty, I mean, no matter how good or bad the shows are going to be, and I almost think no matter the viewership, you know, the the novelty of, of Marvel shows, we've now already, that's already worn off. So I bet you a bit of it with WandaVision was, obviously it was good and, and interesting and mysterious, but also just, oh, there's a there's a new Marvel thing to watch week to week. This is so exciting. And that just gets the discourse going. And then you, you just, they just will lose that over time. There's nothing you can mm-hmm. do about that. So yeah, I think that's fair. Wednesday's moving forward. Um, I hope there's nothing. Good I think on TV I, I, I was going to say something. You know, I'm I'm more I'm less positive about what this what this is saying about film releases. To be honest, this to me reads as okay. Now now more me, medium term, we are going to put more film of the films out on Fridays, um, and so we we need to we're going to carve out then. We're carving that out to put the, to put films out like 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 Luca did last week or two weeks ago. Hmm. Um, oh right, so you actually mean it's space on their streaming service rather than uh, kind of marketing space? Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's entirely fair. Uh, that, that and that's probably a big Thank part you. of it as well. Um, I'm a smart boy. And uh, <laughs> Luca on Disney Plus, very good. Go watch it. I liked it a lot. Um, that's it for this week's comic book movie and TV news. Um, we'll take a short break now where you listen to, um, I don't know, producer Reese, a bit of Catwoman, a bit of Electra. What do we think? I'm going to play the both both trailers at the same time. <laughs> oh. Same time, yeah. But that still might be the kindest thing for our listeners. Uh, so uh, you, you listen uh, to that and then we will be back to talk about, yeah, Catwoman and Electra. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. For centuries, 
A war has been waged in the shadows by two armies born of incredible powers. And yet, it is said there lives a warrior with the ability to tip the balance between good and evil. But first, she must choose. We got ourselves a new offer. No clue you want to get the target. I'm Mark Miller. We're in the little cabin. Two houses now. Her name's Electra, Dad. Like the tragedy. Her parents must have had a sense of humor. Not really. Where's her mother? She died a couple of years ago. My mother died when I was young. The target package has arrived. What the hell is wrong with you, Phillips? Your incompetence is staggering. All my life, I felt powerless. I've never stood up for myself. But then... You can come out now, it's okay. I think maybe I'm in the wrong... Everything changed. But you were reborn by accepting all of who you are. You can be free. She's very self-confident, almost angry. I'm sorry, what was that? Allergies? This person doesn't like to play by all the rules. Amateurs. These says jumps around like a cat. What should we call her? Catwoman. You heard of her? Oh, yeah. Hot. Black leather. Whip. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, we thought it would be interesting to group these films together. Um, I think you could make it, actually, after watching these guys, I think, spoiler alert, I think we all, all agreed they are both very bad, very flawed movies. Yes. Um, I would argue that one of them is interesting bad and one of them is just boring bad. Um, and I, because I, I think there's a world where we could have done a Catwoman episode on its own, but I genuinely don't know. How, how could we have, how could we have dedicated any time to Electra? Because oh. it is, it is a movie it, that it is, has, it has absent. the straight to DVD vibes, doesn't it? I thought it was straight to DVD. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, like I remember. Not unreasonably. I remember. Um, well, we were talking about it last episode. I was like, "Didn't they go straight to DVD?" Um, but no, apparently not. It it was released in theaters in um, in the US in two thousand and five. Um, Catwoman was released a year earlier, um, and yeah, I th- both of these films. I think obviously turning up within a year of each other in that in that kind of I, I don't know is it the is it the second wave is it the would you call it like the silver age of um of comic book <laughs> movies 
<laughs> that, mm-hmm. that we've got we it was you know, it was the sort of post spider-man post x-men like but, gold rush of like who who have we licensed and how quickly can we get them on the screen but i so i kind of i i, I think the your first era of superhero movies is in terms of the being they having any wider presence i i would actually say from superman right through to the end of the 90s batman um, yeah, yeah, or fully. It, or Superman mm. stands out on its own, and then there is Batman and all and of the ninety the nineties yeah. kind of, I guess Blade and your yeah. and then your Punisher and uh, Judge Dredd, not you know Mis- not, Mystery Men, and then X-Men, yeah, the first X Men probably starts another chapter, right? Well, so then, so then, yeah, I think that that the, then the second part that ends with Batman and Robin, and then the next era of that, I think, runs from. X Men's released in two thousand through to two thousand and eight, and then two thousand and eight is when you get the Dark Knight and, and um, Iron Man, and that's mm-hmm. that's when you know every everything changes and they go from being you know a, a, the odd superhero movie blockbusters each summer to this is the culturally dominant pervading force in <laughs> <laughs> yeah in, in all of pop culture. Um, and so, yeah, these these are kind of are, are arriving on the back of particularly the Spider Man and X Men franchises being popular. Um, Electra itself is a direct spin off from Daredevil. Um, Electra, <laughs> very Gen- first episode. <laughs> um, Jennifer Garner's Electra is obviously in um, in in Daredevil and. Um, I don't remember that fe- that film perfectly, guys. I don't know if you've reviewed watched it recently, but my take on that was always that I, I, for all of the kind of slightly forgotten second tier superhero movies, I kind of have a bit of a soft spot for Daredevil. I don't think it's completely crap. Not completely crap. <laughs> I think I think universe podcast. I think Ben Affleck's got something something at least um i think i i remember liking jennifer garner and i remember loving colin farrell's bullseye um yeah the thing people remember about daredevil is that like there was that really horrendous uh playground scene and the costume looked a bit crap as yeah. as an adaptation of the character and the stories it's it's sort of not bad like it it does have that kind of cheap early Nortis feel um, where it, it feels like it's trying very hard to be cool without really knowing what cool is. Um, that kind of post-Matrix thing. Yes. But actually, once if you, if you remove the gloss of that aesthetic, it's actually not a bad story. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of fine. And, and obviously, Garner and Affleck ended up having um, a relationship, mm-hmm. well, a marriage off screen. Um, and and so there's there's at least a hint of chemistry there, um, <laughs> and and yeah, so they decided to make this spin off. Um, even though Elektra dies in Daredevil, um, Ben Affleck was going to have a cameo in this movie. Uh, that well, it was filmed, um, and I don't know whether it was just that maybe when they saw it, they were like, oh, actually. Let's not kill off any chance of a Daredevil sequel by including him in this. Um, but actually, what it, what what this film does is kill off any chance of a, a Daredevil sequel because it, it it 
tanks at the box office. Um, I'm just looking it made 43 million worldwide off of a 60 million budget. Um, and um, we, we were just uh, we were mentioning the Sony Pictures hack earlier. Um, Electra was one of the films that were cited in that hack in an email with Ike Perlmutter, where he um, he used it as an example of um, unprofitable female-led superhero films. Um, which you know, I you kind of, <laughs> I kind of think there is like sometimes you know we just assume that that's the kind of shitty thing that people in Hollywood are thinking. Like, oh well, a decade or well, ten, fifteen years ago, Electra and Catwoman bombed, so we shouldn't make movies with female leads superhero movies with female leads anymore but that was that was actually what was being said behind closed yeah, doors yeah that was like, literally what they were saying yeah these are the movies that are being that are being held up as the reason not to make female superhero movies there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing about even I, I, and i kind of did want to like come across one of these movies and kind of rediscover it and go actually do you know what it's good and it was written off at the time because it has a female lead. I don't think that's the case. I think they are just both really, really crap. But they're not crap because they've got female leads. They're yeah, crap. exactly. They're, they're crap, crap because they're crap. <laughs> they're not crap because the the characters are women. They're crap because the scripts are bad and the direction is bad. Like you keep on saying they're, they're crap when you see, they're in the singular, right? Electra's crap, but we, Cat, Catwoman is good. We do we we agree on that. It's a good movie. Is that? <laughs> No, it is good. It is good and interesting. Do you, it's interesting. It's interesting, Reese. Do you do you actually think it's good? I actually today I watched it and I thought it was good. Yes. Wow. <laughs> you were very hungover, though, right? Yeah, and then you know what really changed my whole my whole mind and body it was this movie called Catwoman because it was actually good. Okay, great. Well, hold on to that, Reese, because as I said, that is the interesting one of these two that we should talk about, but. Um, Whereas Electra, I also watched today, and I can't, I can't remember that I watched it. I, I sort of, I watched it today. I watched it hours ago, and I, I think it had a f- female character, a main character called Electra in it. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> what else was in it? And it uh, seems Goran like Viznich was in it. Abby, Abby was a character. There's a guy with a tattoo. I think yeah. I watched it. This is what happened, right? In a, in a movie called Electra. Let's <laughs> litigate it. So, um, <laughs> so directed. Directed by Rob Bowman, who um, directed, I guess, most notably leading up to this, the X-Files movie and um, Reign of Fire, the um, Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey um, dragon movie. Um, uh, yeah, so that that's how he comes into this. Um, it's written by Zach Penn, uh, or he's one of the credited writers. Obviously, we, we you know, a, a name that we've said an, an an awful lot over the years um because you know he's had his i'm, I'm just thinking uh, incredible hulk x-men the last stand um has story credit on x2 um and basically like the marketing he's got a credit too did you see that feige's got oh, a does... credit yeah oh because as as yeah because he was like one of the he was a he was avi arad's um mm. yeah like right hand guy wasn't he at this point i just thought that was interesting um and yeah, so Jennifer Garner reprises her role as Electra. So despite Electra being killed off in Daredevil, she's back to life here. And the the in universe explanation is because ah, because she's back to life. Um, <laughs> yeah, they don't really give you an like, they they oh man, this movie's so stinky. They they don't they don't they the the one question you've got to answer from Daredevil 
to make an Electra movie of why is she back to life? They just don't. They're like, Terrence Stamps here, and I guess he touched her head or something. How did he find her? What was their connection before? Who knows? No. Sorry. Sorry. Um, and yeah, kind of a movie that, and so I have vivid memories of when I was a teenager. Um, I would, there would be um, like a local corner shop that I would wait outside to meet my friends before I walked to school. And in that corner shop, through the window, you could see the the, the DVDs that you could rent from there. Um, and Electra was there. And I remember always being uh, like unable to take my eyes off it because I was like, oh my God, that must be the best film ever. <laughs> look at look at that lady who I you know <laughs> was vaguely aware of because of Alias. I didn't watch Alias, but I was aware of her, and I was like, oh my god, look at her! And she's got those like daggers, like she's um, <laughs> like I, Raphael from yeah, the like like yeah, exactly what I was gonna say, like Raphael. And then look at that red yeah, costume that she's wearing. Side. <laughs> she's the most beautiful woman in the world. This movie must be great. Um, and I never like I've, I've I have watched it once before, but I think maybe I watched it when we did Daredevil on the podcast. I don't know. I've, I have watched it once before, but definitely not when I was a teenager. Because by the time I came around to watch it, it was just like, oh god, what is this? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and you're right in some of the things that you remember, Reese. Um, it does have Goran Viznich in it. Terrence Stamp is playing Stick, um, who hilariously introduces the movie in voiceover that <laughs> was immediately wrote Most down. Most generic. Terence Stamp gave them one take of this and <laughs> was, a, was asleep within five seconds of finishing. <laughs> it's the lowest effort energy voiceover read that I've ever heard. And it, and it really sets you up for the tone of the movie that it, despite being very, like really action-packed, is so boring. And and dark and dingy and dull and there is just there's almost nothing to cling on to. And so Electra as a character, and I'd be interested in whether this was a whether this was like a conscious decision of oh right, we're, we're, it's a it's a female character, so we have to make her super serious and and downbeat and moody and glum because otherwise boys won't watch it but she is <laughs> she is such a miserable character to spend what is it 90 minutes with no, five, what, i think it's five hours it, does, emotional it does feel it like five really hours, doesn't it's it? really five or six hours yeah <laughs> yeah do, do you agree that she is just She's a yeah, re- I mean, really dire, unengaging lead, and that—that's no criticism of Jennifer Garner, who, you know, I—I I generally like. I, I think mean, this whole, kind of killed her movie career, by the way, as well. The whole film is kind of just dead serious, isn't it? You're just you're praying for someone to be fun in any way, um, right, and then I think the movie thinks it's that McCabe character, but it, all, all of his jokes are terrible, uh, and he's. And then Wait, remind the movie, me, I, is I, that is that the the like agent? That's the agent, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that the, the, the setup is that she's an international, <laughs> she's an international assassin, and she has this agent who hires her to go and assassin people. Um, so she she does that a lot, and then and yeah, he's kind of like cheeky chappy. Oh, Electra, you got to go and kill these people next, and then he, of course, um, like e, right? Yes, and then hey, she's. What's up, e? 
<laughs> she's hanging out on uh, this remote island and this young girl called Abby breaks into her house and they have a bit of back and forth and then she goes and meets them for... Uh, she, she goes around to their house for dinner and meets her dad who is... Oh no, you're angry. missing something. They go, she goes around there because it's, it's Christmas Day. Oh and yes, my question, my question to you guys is: This is Electra a Christmas movie? Yes. <laughs> question. Yeah. No, yeah. Any any movie set at Christmas is a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. watch it every Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, Before you open your presents, boys and girls, we of course have to do the tradition. We have to watch <laughs> Electra. <laughs> yeah, Electra. Yeah, lucky. It's a movie. It's a movie about family. Um, so you know, it also fits in with the key themes of Christmas. So yeah, she goes down to the house, and then and then later that night, the co- the the comedy assassin agent rings her up and's like, "Oh, I've got your next targets. It's that guy and that girl who you just met." <laughs> and yeah. the, the, no hint, at, it's... you know, that she had already met them. You know, by that it was destined, or that it had been set up for her to meet them. No, just complete coincidence that those people that you've just met and gone, and actually didn't seem to get on with that much. Um, like, the girl's annoying, she didn't like her. The dad, um, it's a little bit flirty, but like, you find out his wife's just died, so there probably shouldn't be too much of a hint of a romance there. Um, she goes back to kill them, and goes, suddenly, the you know, the one of the world's best assassins like... No, I can't do it actually because I I spoke to them for twenty minutes, so <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to kill them. annoying people. I can't do it, even though it's my my career and I've been shown to have done loads of this. Killed, you know, killed what I think is the most charming and charismatic and best performance of the film, Jason Isaacs. She kills him. No problem oh, yeah. killing him. He's wonderful. Jason... It's like yeah, bring Jason Isaacs, but oh he oh I was like it's, oh he's the villain maybe. Great, oh, great. Jason Isaacs, amazing. No, okay, he's he's buffed off, but he's best performance of all it's it's funny right so jason isaac's in that pre pre-title sequence is uncredited um i guess this <laughs> you know at this point in jason isaac's career you know his name wasn't probably going to get many people in seats but um i was watching that first scene and thinking god this is a bit dark and depressing and then like he's got a little bit of chat about you know kind of knowing that she's got there's there's this sense that like I'm already dead. You can all do what you want to protect me, but she—if it's Electra that's coming, I'm already dead. And then he dies. And I was thinking, oh, not a great start. Uh, but I think that is the best sequence in the movie. And then after that, I'm not—I'm not really sure what I can say positive about this movie <laughs> at all. So uh, she she goes to visit Stick, who uh, yeah is is. Terence Howard, Terence Howard, Terence Stamp, oh, Terence Caring, Stick, hell caring, yeah. <laughs> Next caring, time, <laughs> Very little about this role. Um, she then decides that she's going to protect this family. Uh, the family are Why? being hunted. Why? I don't know. No, there's no reason. She's an assassin. Sorry. I'm um, yeah, and she's got no connection to them. Um, and... So she protects them. They are then being hunted by the Hand. The Hand are, like, mostly generic people, but then they have a couple of, like, super-powered people. There is uh, Stone and Typhoid Mary, or just uh, she's just called Typhoid in the film, but I think it's supposed to be Typhoid Mary. Yeah. Um, Oh, lame. Because uh, Typhoid Mary in the comic, Typhoid Mary is a cool character in the comics with a, with a, with a, with interesting powers and 
with good storylines you could put her in and then oh yeah a solid look there's a lot of good about typhoid mary in the comics that has not been translated to this movie yeah. Oh, there's, talk, a guy called, well. there's also a guy called Tattoo whose powers are tattoos. Well, I want to talk about Tattoo just briefly. There's a scene towards the end, and we'll come. We'll, maybe we'll look back around. But the, the, there's a bit that bit at the end where he makes like snakes. a million missile snakes pour out of his body and like chase the characters. Like, if you've got that guy on your team, he's the he's the most powerful guy on your team. All the other guys, oh, this guy's strong. This lady does a, a cough, and it, you get a little bit sick. You've got a guy who makes who can make unlimited snake missiles. At any point, <laughs> use that guy in all scenarios. <laughs> but then, are yeah. his, are they actually real, or are they just a projection? Because then, as soon as Electra kills him, they all just disappear. No, so it's like a, like if you kill him, I, I presume, you know, because Abby on the ground, look, she's gotten covered by the snakes. No. Yeah, but as she yeah. actually, or does she just think that she's being covered by the snakes? Okay, maybe he's a little bit not. And just while we're talking about, and again, we'll come, but we'll get there maybe if we go chronological. But there's a scene where the strong guy throws the thing at the tree, and then the tree falls on him and kills him. Oh, that is my, it's the best scene of the whole film. So it's so doesn't. If you if you remember that sequence, she isn't. She or at least if the, maybe the filmmaking is so terrible that it's supposed to be this, but you, you don't read it as this. She, I don't think you're supposed to think that she's like steers the tree. The guy is so strong he can whack a tree down and then it <laughs> yeah. falls and then it falls on him and that's how that <laughs> character is killed. Uh-huh. And, and the only Electra bit in that scene is like she just she, Electra does so much running in this film. She just all she does is is running. You know, you're like so you've got this super assassin. She's got these two cool knives. She can sort of see the future a little bit, and but most of the time, what will sh- what will show her doing is she's just running. She's just running a bit fast. Yeah, <sighs> and it's not it's not what Electra is known for in the comics. I will right. say that much. And you kind of lose track of how many times she does get bested in this movie. Like she doesn't she doesn't seem like uh, well I guess because she's an assassin. And what she's trying to do here is keep people alive. It's completely counterproductive to everything that the character stands for. So... Yeah, the whole the whole like deal for Electra is that she is super stealthy and quick and like only only characters the level of Daredevil, who have also been trained by like the world's best ninjas, can fight her. The the whole idea of her trying to protect someone is like it's a skill set she's not designed for. And so and maybe, what you end up is like these pronounced fight sequences with lots of running around that don't really don't really work. They don't work. And you you also have the problem that and this is I think this is it still exists definitely exists but my memory is that this really felt alive at this period of time you know it's a pg-13 your main character her power is she has knives uh and so okay how do we hmm so she has these knives and she uses the knives to kill we can't really hmm can't really show that though huh okay uh maybe the solution is they explode into smoke (laughs) deal deal put it in the script do it and so all of the you know all of the that i'm sure that's a that is that was an issue that that the director had in that you can't you couldn't really do great sequences with her main thing which is that she's just she stabs people because you can't really show the stabbing um yeah but they didn't they didn't solve it you know <laughs> sometimes, I mean, sometimes in... filmmaking is oh here's this here's the problem we need to we need to solve this to to make this film good and that was the problem and they didn't they didn't come up with a good solution yeah i mean in in fairness right electra has been very hard to make work as a protagonist in the past because she is designed so much to be a foil for and to play off Daredevil. 
like the things that made her a good character in the comics were that she was sort of wild and inscrutable and dangerous and the more you show her the less those things become true like the jennifer garner version of electra bears no resemblance to the character on the page who's you know sort of fearlessness and like just disinterest in social convention uh are some of the things that appeal about her it's, like it's, there have been plenty of comics that have come out that have failed to to do much mm. interesting with Electra, and this movie just doesn't even try. Well, and I'll be honest, my vague memory of Elodie Young in the Daredevil TV show as well was that it, you know, it was an actual character and it worked better than this. But hell yeah! But w- when I think back on the Daredevil TV show, she's not really what's standing out about it, and I, and. and I'm not really sure how much fun I had with that character. And it kind of... There was, that, she, there was uh, that one good episode where they were infiltrating... Yes. ...the building together, and you got a really good sense of, like, oh, that's how these two characters who have, you know, thrown off the shackles of a pedestrian life, and they've become full-time assassins or whatever. And that was a really fun episode. And then the rest of it, she's just sort of there. I think, I think I mean, for me, James, part of the, the problem is... Well, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, you are absolutely right, Reese. There's, there's that one. There's that one good episode, the Marvel Netflix shows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for me in in that, and and then you know it's entirely in the in the con, you know, in the construct of this movie is, I think, a lecture is connected to the stuff that I find the least interesting about Daredevil, which is just loads of faceless ninjas. <laughs> And then, and then all, of, and then, and then the more mystical stuff, and and yeah, the, the whole stuff with her diet. I, I just don't. don't really care uh, about I love. Any of that. See, the thing I like about Daredevil is the the duality of the character that he has all these two sides to him. Like you know, he's a he's a vigilante who upholds the law. Like he's a religious man who doesn't have faith in things, but also he's like a, a street level guy who has been drafted into like a you know a sort of pseudo religious mystical war like i love that stuff daredevil is so cool what yeah. a good character please but electra doesn't have that same duality mm-hmm. like when she's when she's dealing with all this mystical ninja nonsense it's just mystical ninja nonsense there's no grounding to it um, I'm just going to quote from the Wikipedia page here. I'm going to be honest, I haven't done a huge amount of pre-podcast <laughs> research on Electra. Um, Garner reportedly did not want to do the film and only did it because she was legally required to due to contractual obligations from Daredevil. Uh, the film was made during her hiatus from Alias and was produced and, and the production was limited by that time frame. Uh, Avia Rad later said that Marvel had made a mistake by rushing the Electra into release. <laughs> We'll never do that again, he said. And um, <laughs> and Rob Bowman said that the film was literally 12 frames of film from an R rating due to MPAA objections to several death scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, my sense in, the, in terms of the production of this film is a studio in two minds about whether it wanted to make a Daredevil sequel. So when, what if we make kind of a sequel, but it's cheaper? And if that's a success, then we'll greenlight the, the, the other one. And then, I, and then I think you know, Electra probably a character that popped to an extent from that first movie. And I went, okay, so it's an Electra movie, 
and we will market it. And like, and, and you know, thirteen-year-old Joe is definitely aware of this. We will market it based on how attractive Jennifer Garner is, and we will put her in a red suit this time, which is more, you know, synonymous with the character, which I don't think she wore in the in the Daredevil movie. And that's about all it is. Um, it's because there's, certain, there's certainly nothing in the film itself that you're like, oh yeah, I could be into that. Like that's that that's that's a compelling hook that I can that I can kind of get my teeth into. Um, it's, I mean, the, the, like the the final act, right? Is she just fights all of the hand people? Um, it turns out that. So there's something, isn't there, about she's the she is destined to tip the balance between good and evil. But it's <laughs> the treasure, treasure, Joe. The treasure. But, <laughs> but it's not her. It is the, the girl kid, Abby, and that's why they're trying to kill her because she's the treasure. Oh, that's yeah. Well, and that that I also think that they you and know. then they tie it into her parents being killed. That guy also killed her dad, is it? Um, yeah. Again, I watched this movie hours, like five <laughs> hours ago. But yeah, I think that is what happens. <laughs> oh, it is, uh, it is say, so bad. <laughs> so far, it's one of the worst films I've seen in memory. It really, God. <laughs> um, I was going to say, oh yeah, you know, there's, there's maybe something, you know, I think at, at times it, 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 it's, it's, they don't, they're not, they're not consistent enough with like, uh, you know, with what that what, what that dynamic with Abby is kind of is supposed to be. You know, is it maternal? Is it sisterly? Is it is it uh, protege? It's it's sort of too many. It's I mean, it's you know, the movie's stinky, and even if probably if they'd have picked one, they probably would have stunk it up. But even that, you know, that that bit at the end where you know she comes back to life, Jennifer Garner does a good little sort of Jennifer Garner cry, and then and then and then leaves the family as well. Didn't get that, but but you know that that moment just just lands exactly zero percent uh, and you just wonder whether just ever so slightly more pushing in it one of those directions in the, th- in the for the rest of the film maybe uh, i think that's testament to why the why the why the movie doesn't work and why it has nothing to do with her being a female character the movie doesn't work because nothing in the film is it, it means anything to electra because electra doesn't have any character She's she's just introduced as assassin who suddenly decides not to be an assassin. So there isn't yeah. When you're saying about the relationship with Abby, is it maternal? Is it not? Well, is there anything about Electra that um, that we kind of go? Oh, she is yearning for that. You know, it's not it's not new in Aliens, is it? You know, there's not like oh, here's <laughs> the here's the reason why for this character, you know, relationship with a protege would mean something or. Yeah. Or even like with Gore and Viznich, like there's no because Daredevil is a word that you know isn't spoken. There's no sense of like any kind of should I you know d- is it wrong to like this guy? Do I, do I actually love someone else? Do I want to be in a relationship with this guy? It's it, th- her character is a complete void. I don't know what's motivating mm-hmm. her in this movie beyond ah mm-hmm. well there's there's nothing else to do. I do see. I sort of get the feeling that the film was when it was designed as a sequel to daredevil it was supposed to be playing off the idea like okay in the previous film you know her her father was killed she's lost her family let's let's explore the idea of putting her with a new surrogate family but they don't get so far as actually doing that 
And also, they barely remind you that any of the previous stuff happened because they want to stay so far away from Daredevil. But so it's just a see, misfire. You know, it's a massive we'll misfire. To, we'll get to Catwoman, right? And that's well, we will. And that you know, a good. I think we all agree a good film. Uh, but you know, at least they have Catwoman has the freedom to to be really quite clearly from the off, not connected to to not connected to Batman. And that's a choice, and they make that choice and they go for it. As, as you say, James, Electra is sort of. It, 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 it's it's lose lose because it's oh we're gonna do we're gonna take the character and it'll be the same character or, or you know it'll be they'll have the, she'll have the same name but with like zero connective tissue to Daredevil no of the none of the other characters the the character herself is completely you know is basically you know because she's been brought back to life although we won't explain why is a blank slate so it's this weird you know they're hampered by this 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 strange very tangential link to the first one but it also means that they can't you know. They can't do more. They can't sort of. Uh, they can't create. They can't create yeah. a backstory for her because she's already got one. But they don't do right. anything with they it. Can't, they can't say that this this Electra was like brought back to life by this Egyptian, you know, stray cat. They're not allowed to do that because you've already, <laughs> you know, you've already ha- have certain things established. Yeah, I, I think we should give the final word on Electra to <laughs> another quote that I found on the Wikipedia page. In 2016, Catherine Trendacosta at io9 reviewed the film and called it somehow so much worse than you remember. <laughs> and I think that's fair because, do you know what? Like, I watched this film, not today, like Reese, but four or five days ago. And I remember having thoughts on the direction. I just can't remember what those thoughts were. It wasn't positive, but I remember having specific things of, oh, this is why the direction doesn't work. I can't remember. It's a bit, yeah. It's a bit matrixy. I thought it's a bit, it's a bit um, crouching tiger. Like there's, you know, there's some of that with, with especially with the hand guys. Some of that wushu stuff. Um, uh, you know, there, there are some. Cho- there are definitely some choices. The direction is not. You know, it's not. It's it, not incompetent. It doesn't look like a. T- but, well, yeah, it's choices. Yeah, the choices. thing is, right. Rob Bowman was a TV director and has never gone back to movies after Electra. Um, oh. one of his movie credits is the X-Files movie. Like, it just, it feels to me like he was not capable of helming a film on the scale that Marvel wanted, and maybe the fault lies with him in that respect. Like, I think you know, it's such a, I think it's such a fundamentally bad movie on just about every, <laughs> every level. Like I said, like Jennifer Garner's not to blame, because she doesn't have anything to... I don't, know, I don't know what she could do differently. But I also can't say she's good. There isn't a performance in this movie that well, I can say I think, is good. I think her it's performance, a bad screenplay. Her performance is what you would get if you check Jennifer Garner into a script that has no ideas from a director that has no ideas. And, like and she's I, just doing her Jennifer Garner thing, and that is fine. And it's properly... But it's also a performance that I believe that Wikipedia quote that she didn't want to do the movie. Yeah. It's no, not... This, this isn't, like, this is a sense of autopilot that I, I don't get from Alias at any point. No, definitely. But it's also, it's not Halle Berry and Catwoman, so... Well, let's... I know you're trying let's, to... <laughs> oh, okay. Let's get over to Catwoman. Let's talk Catwoman, because certainly the more interesting of the two. So this was actually released the previous year in 2004. Um, as we said, directed by uh, Pitoff who uh, a, a French uh, visual effects supervisor. So he had, um, he'd worked on second unit on Alien Resurrection. He'd uh, worked on 
um, City of Lost Children, um, and yeah, this was like he was he was a, v- a VFX whiz basically, and he got. <laughs> now we to... all remember how well that worked for Spawn, right? <laughs> um, I guess it worked out okay for Deadpool. That, that's that's where Tim Miller came from. <laughs> Oh, another um, film it worked out okay for was um, it's called Catwoman. Came out in two thousand and four. Movie, and so this is um, Halle Berry at like a, 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 a massive career high, right? She um, she's... three years after becoming the first African American woman to win an Oscar. Yeah, so I mean, like, so you look at you look in in two thousand, she stars in X Men, and. Then in 2001, she wins the Oscar for Monsters Ball. And then when she does come back and do X2 in 2003, you know, we talked about this on that episode, but she had, you know, been, had, had, had uh, lobbied for, you're going to need to make me a much more, a bigger part of this because I'm not just a part of your ensemble anymore. I'm can, your can rec- I... recent Oscar <laughs> actress. Can I just quickly throw out, at the time, contemporary with X-Men 1 or 2, she made the observation that there weren't enough acting roles out there for African American women, uh, African American men and women, and that she had been reduced to playing a superhero. So I was very <laughs> surprised to see her come back playing a different superhero. I mean, I think the money would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Speaking of money, this movie, go on Wikipedia. This movie cost a hundred million dollars, which yeah. is. Kind of crazy. That is, you know, it, that's a lot of money. Because also, if you look at it, you know, 82 mil, I don't know if that's domestic or, you know, that's not, you know, that's not Electra which made half that. But but I, I think this movie was a flop financially, not because it, not because of its grosses, but because it was so, like, relatively, really expensive. $100 million is really expensive. Yeah, and, and, and I also think it's not even, you know, it didn't lose a load of money. It just it it lost a bit of money and had such a bad reputation that you know it it, it became a punchline, didn't it? It it really did become a punchline. Sure. And it, guys, I'd never watched this before. This was a, a, one of those films that I just never got round to, and then had decided, oh well, I'll wait until we do it on the podcast then. Yeah, it's um, okay, James. You're, uh, Joe, you're saying that like like it makes sense. You wouldn't have gotten around to to this movie. Why would you have gotten around to this movie before now? <laughs> yeah, I thought like okay, now nah, yeah. I'm going to save it. I'll actually save it for the show. <laughs> anyway, let me let me quickly finish my Halle Berry tangent because she do, she Sorry. also starred in Die Another Day in 2002, and there was talk about spinning off Jinx, her character of Jinx mm. from that movie, um, to have a solo film. Except that was another film that was you know, really badly received and Eon decided to reboot the Bond franchise with Casino Royale a few uh, a few years later. And then also in 2001, she's got Swordfish, which, I, I, you know, isn't a very good film, but Hugh Jackman, um, John Travolta, Don Cheadle alongside her, and, um, you know, famous, I think famously, like, she had been paid a huge amount of money for each second she was topless in the film. So mm. and, and and I point that out because if you look at that, you know, if you look at then that run of movies, she's got the popular comic book movie franchise. She's won her Oscar. She is a, a huge sex symbol. You know, she also has the Die Another Day gives her the um, the Doctor No Ursula Andress coming out of the water moment, um, mm-hmm. which it then gives again to Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so she she's she's huge, huge, huge at this point. And then you look what happens after Catwoman. She voices a character in Robots in 2005. She's got X-Men The Last Stand. And then her run of movies after that, Perfect Stranger, Things We Lost in the Fire, Frankie and Alice, New Year's Eve, Dark Tide. And then I think Cloud Atlas, when that did come around in 2012, almost felt like a bit of a, oh, remember Halle Berry? Because she just, you know, this movie properly killed her career, I think, for, for a long time. She also had uh, Gothica the year before this, which was, you know... But, yeah. But she, was, Jane, she, she was getting lead roles. That, that movies were being purely marketed on her. She also... She turned 40, and it, it sucks, but, but you know, Hollywood... There's a, time, there's a timeline. You know, most, most actresses don't... Cannot, cannot have a Meryl Streep career where they... They can be a leading. They can, you know, be be the lead for for their whole career into their sixties and seventies. That it's, you know, it's whereas the likes of Tom Cruise or, you know, yeah. male actors definitely can and, and and actresses. It's it's the rules are different and that sucks, but it's true. And I'm sure that's I'm sure that's a yeah. Piece I'm sure of this. I'm sure that is yeah. Also, but it's just interesting that it seems to, you know, it is a proper you know, she just kind of disappears. Well, it's like you say, Joe. It became such a punchline. It's it's just really hard to come back from a flop that high profile. Like it won a bunch of Razzies. Mm-hmm. Um, Which it fuck became the Razzies, within. But I, I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. fuck the Razzies, obviously, but they're they're emblematic of you know a film that cannot escape how bad it is. It's not like a lecture yeah. where people just forgot about it. <laughs> It was within no, the, popular culture. Everyone knew that Halle Berry was in this film and this film was bad. It does remind... But, watching her performance in the movie, it does remind you of, like, why it, why being an actor sucks. Because, because she, she, you know, she's she has to go for it. She has to... Pit off yeah. would have been off, off camera and go, hey, in this scene, you have to think you're a cat. And like yeah. you, you, you do, you know, you hear us this stupid cat joke line that you're going to re- say, but also like you're going to be look around like you're a cat, be scared at the rain like like you're an actual cat. And yeah. and th- I, I think that I think this is fuck the Razzies. I think this is a good performance because she, you know, what she does? She goes, yeah, okay, I'm I'm going to do that. I'm going to act. I'm I'm showing up. Mm-hmm. And and the movie, you know, I, I like. I mean, I was joking earlier. It's a good movie. It's probably it's probably bad, but I I actually enjoyed it today. But you know, it gets this bad reputation, and, and she's the one. You know, all the, the writers and the director and the the studio that that like that that you know they, they step away. They're like, oh, okay, wash wash your hands of it. Whereas her pretending to be a cat lives forever as a meme, and you know that mm. that has that it, it, her career changes overnight. But uh, but she she is committed to that stuff in this movie, and that you know. Yeah. There's also all that, I think there's also interesting stuff about, you know, she starts off, she plays the kind of meek and then kind of the, the other, the kind of Catwoman side of, of Patience Phillips, but uh, Brackett's great, great character name. Uh, you know, she pl- she's playing that too. She's acting, she's acting. Benjamin Bratt, he shows up, he's just doing his like, oh, I'm hot and have great chemistry with every, every actress I can be so on screen hot. with. He's doing that, right? He's amazing. But <laughs> but she is, she is, she's acting, she's acting. And she, she paid, you know, she paid the ultimate price, but she, she paid the price, but she, she's given it. So um, I completely agree, but I think, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think she's the only one giving it i think that this is this is a movie that's taking swings like sharon stone 
you know, it, she's uh, it's the the she understood the assignment meme, right? But Sharon Sharon, <laughs> Sharon Stone gets what movie she's in, and I think Halle Berry gives a good performance as Patience. Like, unfortunately, I just don't think there is a good. I don't. I don't think there's an argument that that is a good performance as Catwoman because it's just it's absurd. I don't know how. I don't know how there could have been a good version of that. Yeah, it that's is... what I was going to say. There's no good version of that performance. Like, the director was probably off screen shouting, "No bigger, give me more." And it was <laughs> really just, react to that catnip. No, yeah, right. eat more tuna. <laughs> Oh, the catnip bit. Oh, the tuna bit. <laughs> there was just no way oh. to do that and not have it come out ridiculous. But then she, I, I think be, because then she, you know, there are that elements to the performance that she has to do, you know, they're a part of the movie. Then I think oh, she the... pitches the rest of her Catwoman performance in line with that. So there is a mo, you know, there's the scene where she's interacting with Benjamin Bratt up in the uh, the lighting rig of the stage and just everything she's doing is so huge. And this is a, you know, this is a character that she knows and has a relationship with. But she's just, you know, she's... And, and, and I wasn't quite sure whether the film was trying to suggest that Catwoman was a separate persona to Patience. Or it was something that kind of, like, just took over her or gave her a, a different type of confidence or something. Well, there's but... that... There's that there's that great bit with the writing that I love. That's such a hilarious scene with the handwriting where where yeah. where like there's no way that a handwriting expert has ever actually spoken like that. Yeah, you can no, see no. from the O that she's that at this day she was shy and she'd had eggs for breakfast or whatever. Like it's hilarious. And then that how it ends when you go oh but Benjamin like Benjamin Bratt's like oh so these are two different people right? And he goes hundred percent. And if they were in the same room together, you'd have a party, which is just like again just such a stupid line. Um, but but I think from that you're supposed to take that. I think you're supposed to take that they are different different personas. I, I think, but completely. Is it like Hulk and Bruce Banner, or is it like does she remember what she's done? Does she? There's like a switch flip. I I think it's slightly. I don't think it's well communicated. And then she's That's fair. yeah. And then and then because when when she is Catwoman, I just think it's. I understand, like I say, I completely understand why she's taking these massive swings with that performance, and it's it is such a brave performance. <laughs> brave, but, yeah, but, that's but the it word. is it is ultimately it is it's just the only thing you could you, you, you know you you either you either laugh at it or you laugh with it, and I think it's hard to laugh with it because the the rest of the film around her isn't very good either. So you, well, you can't really you know, go along for the right. <laughs> on the bravery part, I mean, you know, just don't forget this is, if this was a male, you know, male star making as big choices, that would still be brave. But she she has to do all that in like this insanely skimpy outfit, right? And and being uh, with geez. the camera, yes. with the male director, completely sexualizing her all the time. There's that, for me, there's, there's two moments of, there's two... Well, there's loads, but it's the bit when Brat is watching her wiggle her bum in the basketball scene, which is just, oh, God, oh, just God. horrid. And the basketball episode... scene, which really does feel like the sequel That's to the Daredevil playground scene that, that yeah. James mentioned yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sequence is mad. Um, and also, there's, a, I mean, that crazy bit at the end where she just... She's in the, in prison and she's like she talks to the cat and she's like okay I'm gonna do I'm gonna I'm gonna save the day and then how's she gonna get out of this prison oh well hey she's like a cat woman so she just will like just go through the bars and then there's just I just think there's like a link I I 
there's just a lingering shot of her one of, of one of Halle Berry's like butt cheeks when she comes out of the other side of the of the um, of the bars that I just thought was was so unnecessary. Um, yeah. that's that bit is mad. Uh, just the costume itself, like, is wild to me when people take superheroine costumes and make them more sexualized. Because uh, you yeah. know, famously, comic artists have zero chill about you know giving characters ridiculous physiques and you know bizarre outfits and they went no no let's take it even further oh, my beer. and it's some <laughs> insane like bdsm outfit it's just bizarre yeah and and it literally is just let's cut out the fabric yeah and, and do you know what i think it's I, I i think there is really something in what you said just then reese about because she's a woman <laughs> this becomes a punchline and you know like you know Halle Berry can't take this big this kind of big swing but when Tom Hardy did it in Venom <laughs> I was about to say Tom Hardy yeah because mm. I think mm. I think I think yeah. that's the closest parallel I can think of yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah he he doesn't have to contend with the, the film or, I mean the film around him is just as bad um mm. But he doesn't have to contend with the film constantly sexualizing him, um, and and I think while while a film like Venom is bad, what it doesn't have is the sense that Catwoman did, which does, which is like like it's got ADHD, like it's like the the editing in this movie is insane. The camera is so very ra- rarely <laughs> static; it's always swooping, or it's or, or, or there's some kind of Dutch angle or it's cutting into an extreme close-up and then cutting back. And like when three characters are having a conversation, it's like that scene from Bohemian Rhapsody. But like Uh, any time different characters are having a conversation, it's, and and then you've got the, you know, obviously the director who is there on his visual effects chops. And I don't know how these visual effects would have landed at the time. Because actually, I don't think it's a million miles away from the Matrix sequels, where you're like, "Well, I know that's not Keanu Reeves. I know that's, <laughs> well, other... I know that's a we CG haven't... Halle Berry." But now it looks bad. We haven't brought it up yet, and we're talking about other things. But for me, almost throughout this entire film, I I was thinking, "Oh, this is just this is just Spider Man. This is Spider Man." Uh, this is Spider-Man comes out and they go, oh, this would be good if we another one of these, but it's a lady. Oh, and Halle Berry's here. Like it, it's yeah. you know the, the, the I think that the, the kind of the way she's animated, you know, oh, well, you get it all right. You get the kind of oh, she's learning her powers thing early on, which reminded me of the scene when he crawls up the wall in the first one. You get you know the the, the sort of the sequence where she's finally revealed in her full costume and she sort of bounds around the city like that is. Yeah, I just thought that was the the sequence in Spider-Man where he again you see him in his costume for the first time when he swings around the city. Um, and, and actually, um, actually, plot-wise, it's and he's not doing Raimi. All the Dutch, either, is it? All the Dutch angle stuff, like all the all that, you know, all that, all that sort of, you know, it's got the most camera work, right? It's not the best. It's just mm. there's just the most. But like, <laughs> you know, Raimi, you know, Raimi's just a better director, so is just yeah. makes better choices. But it's he's kind of, it, I think it's he, the, the the style is he's aping that style. The the music reminded me of, you know, mm. less so the soundtrack because there there are those quite fun, I think, quite fun remixed uh remixed pop and hip-hop songs that play along to the biggest sequences but the music in general was was quite um who's it elfman on spider-man yeah elfman on spider-man yeah yeah. i I think that was i think there's that too there's the even the dynamic you know 
even the dynamic with the with the villain and with the love interest it's it's just spider-man and that i think that's why the budget is so high as well i think they were like okay we've got a huge star we've mm-hmm. got we know this works we'll just do a spider-man you've got a you've got a, a, an ip that you know people kind of know Catwoman. people remember at this point still probably michelle Pfeiffer from batman returns like this is this is a slam dunk this is a slam dunk and and it it wasn't <laughs> Well, we should point out as well that this this was a movie that started its development after Batman Returns, and I think there is a sense of that as well in the version of this. Uh, you know, it, her creation in terms of you know, actually, you know, cats actually being involved, her dying being brought back to life, and then being less cat, less cat burglar and more. I am going to avenge the corporate wrong that was done to me. Right. That yeah. that has, you know, that has parallels with Batman Returns. Um, I, was su- I was surprised. I really thought that, you know, when she's going through when Frances Conroy, and we, we have, we, we should talk about her because that she's, that's really fun. But, you know, the bit when she's kind of, she's turning all the pages of the other, she's being told, oh yes, cat women have existed, you know, in time oh, and yeah. in memoriam. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was really sure that one of those pages was going to be a vague, even like a sort of a vague reference to Pfeiffer, but I don't yeah. think it's in there. No, this, this, like and this film does completely stand on its own. There's no sense that this is Gotham or any mm. kind of superhero universe. It's just... And, I mean, is... further than that, it's not in any way a version of the character from the page. Like They junk basically everything about Catwoman except for the name. And, and like, they have if... that... They have that one scene where there's a there's a jewel heist to have the kind of cat burglar element. But actually mm-hmm. what she's doing is stopping someone else doing a heist and just yeah. happens to take the take some of the jewelry afterwards, but then returns it. So it, it I mean I'm not sure why it's there. <laughs> it just it comes across to me as if it's like if the word catwoman was not trademarked and someone went, Oh, we can make a catwoman film. We just yeah. can't use anything from the existing version of the character. Here's what we can come up with. Like, it just it seems mad to me that you would make an adaptation of, let's face it, one of your probably top five female characters and mm. not do it any sort of justice. Like, I don't even understand why they didn't call her Selena Kyle. Like, if you're going to do anything, at least keep that. Why change it? Just... I'm baffled by all of the creative decisions involved in making the script here. You know, do you think it's a direct Peter Parker reference? Patience Phillips, Peter I, Parker? I like think they a... were trying to go for the alliterative thing, mm. but they missed what alliteration is. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> like, Patience Phillips, it's got that's P's fun. at the start, yeah. but it doesn't doesn't alliterate, because the sounds like are different. Said out, it's like, nobody said out loud. Yeah. They were like, yeah, it's written down, it's it's two P's, yeah, but say it. Puh and right? puh. Oh, shit, oh, shit. <laughs> I've lost this job. I'm like, yeah, get out of here. Writer, number number nine. <laughs> but so, this movie's good. It's got a lot on its mind. It's got, you know. Well, so that's that. That I think is the thing that's in its favour because the I think the the direction, like I said, I think you know, at, at, at one point I thought I was going to have some kind of seizure because it was just <laughs> like this is this is more you know like sick inducing than any Paul Greengrass handheld movie. Like, the swoops made me feel a bit seasick and the editing was so frenetic. But I do think there is at least something in the script that's interesting. And actually, like, whereas Elektra is a really nondescript superhero movie that has a female lead, but, you know, 
that lead, you know, there's, it could have been anyone. Mm-hmm. This movie does have stuff to say about, um, it, you know, it, it, it's it's important that its lead character is female. And particularly, I think it probably more so, it's important that its villain is female. And it has it has at least the interesting beats that um, everyone, Catwoman included, assumes that Lambert Wilson is the is the villain. He's not. It's Sharon Stone. And um, there's some, there's something interesting about the you know about her kind of setup for villainy about her being aged out of her role. You know, she literally says, doesn't she, I, I, I mm-hmm. turned 40 and I stopped being beautiful. I think the, the, the actual, the finer details of the script make all of that a little bit clumsy. Um, but there's at least something in there that I think the film was aware we are making a film with a female lead and we should do something with that. Especially the casting of Sharon Stone specifically. Mm, yep. Like, who had that, you know, early 90s career of being huge Mm -hmm. and then was just sort of dropped. Oh, yeah, I wonder whether Sharon Stone... Well, whether Halle Halle Berry kind of had the Sharon Stone career, kind of, right? Well, she literally plays Sharon Stone in The Flintstones. (laughs) That's a a good show. A role that was written for Sharon Stone called Uh, Sharon Stone. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. So these are two actresses with... I think Sharon Stone passed and Halle Berry took the role. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and even don't forget, like you know, the, the kind of MacGuff, you know, the the, the the villain plan is 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 that Sharon Stone's launching this beauty product that deages people, you know, bracket brackets women really is who it's being sold to. That will then what's the what's the thing? It, it's it's it will it will get them hooked so much, and then they'll have to pay because otherwise they will dissolve. Or, or you know, it's a bit of an extreme yeah. plan. But yeah, even it, the it's even it's even bedded into the, the the villain plan. You know. Yeah, I mean, from a <laughs> that the way that that business functions is insane. <laughs> it, is, it, is, <laughs> it, it is a properly insane business where the like low level art designer has been called into the CEO's <laughs> office. Yeah. To get chewed out about about the, about how bad her work is, and then she comes back to the office late at night, and the execs are projecting onto a large <laughs> screen on the wall their evil plan that no one is allowed to see. Um, <laughs> and, and it's also, and it's very close to some pipes, <laughs> like literally yeah. where she is. Like you don't have to move that far, and then you're in like the the sewers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you've got you've got massive, massive waste pipes. The moment where she fires out of the waste pipes is the first moment where I was going, "Oh, is this like a version of Gotham? This is at least a little bit Gotham." No, um, yeah. And and, and then the and other then, thing that made me really laugh about this business plan was it. It does seem that the plan is. It's just that Sharon, they they just want to. She wants to launch this product because it's going to make them loads of money. She's not trying to disfigure all of these women. It's that she yeah, just yeah. yeah they want to launch this product. Well, what kind of business plan is launching a product that everyone <laughs> like? It's literally going to tank the company as soon as there is any hint that it is that it is not a great product. It's, it's, a, te- it's a terrible, it terrible kind of, idea. It's some kind of cigarettes thing, right? Because it's like once you start using it, if you stop, it's bad, and if you keep using it, it's bad. So I feel like that's what they were going for. I don't know. 
just, I, I, I the think choice, it was, the choice, in fact, of cosmetics makes me think it's like, oh, it's a girl superhero film, so naturally she's going to be fighting, you know, makeup. But then I, <laughs> I think that that would be if if executed better, would be an interesting choice, and I, and I think having that female character, you could certainly the, do something feminist with it, yeah. Yes, and I think having the, I think if Sharon Stone's motivation had been more explicitly. Well, you know, or or even if it had been like a product that was aimed at, at, that that was aimed at men, and it was some kind of revenge, or it was mm. look, mm. I am if I can't be beautiful, no one can. Like a kind of a, a evil queen, Snow White kind of thing. Um, but like she doesn't, she doesn't. There's not really any then personal relationship to patience. It's just that patience happens mm. to oversee it, and that to to see that something's happened and. Yeah, so there's I'm not, not sure, there's not there's yeah. not any relationship between those characters, is there? I think the movie probably trick because you know there is a, there's a lot going on at all times. There's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of relationships that that <laughs> you know develop across the movie, and, and I, I think there's quite a lot of going. You know, and I wonder whether the movie the trade off is like you could have done more Sharon Stone, you could have done more between those two characters, but actually you have more you have more with the. You know, with the Benj- I can't remember his name. Uh, Tony Lome is that his name? You know, or Tom Tom, Tom have, Lone, you, Detective. Tom you have Lone. more between those two, and and that's so. You know, th- so then you'll just you're gonna you you can you can't have both. So you're probably gonna put more screen time for those two. And I think that stuff, I think that stuff's fun and it works. And and again, the chemistry's there. Brat Brat is you know he should have been a bigger star really. Right? Brat is, is so he's, handsome and so charming. Yeah, he's so cool. And yes. he and Halle Berry have chemistry. I think. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so surprised in a movie that is as horny as this movie is. <laughs> but I think I think the shame is that it is a movie that's directed assuming everyone's going to be horny for Halle Berry rather than going. This movie could like you know that like like Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman isn't just uh you know uh isn't just a teenage wet dream right it's. That's that's the kind of performance that anyone of any gender can look at and go, oh, that's sexy, and there's some there's some there's some interesting vibes going on here. Mm-hmm. This is just a movie that's horny for Halle Berry, but I really did think that when they were gonna when they went back to her apartment for what's about to be the sex scene, I was like, oh, okay, so you can surely do something fun here, right? Where her like animalistic side takes over. No, <laughs> we, well, they we do just that with straight the- past it. No, well, no, you well to be. They, you see him; he sort of touches his back, and he's got a, a scratch mark. So, so that's that's there. No, I wanted to. I wanted no, the sure. scene. I wanted. The you scene. wanted the scene. <laughs> I mean, if, wouldn't ha- that wouldn't that scene have been her lying under him and then just wailing loudly? From what I know about cats fucking, <laughs> I think it would not. Have, it would not have been as interesting as you're hoping. Oh, all the I cats. Mean, I want to talk about. I want to talk about two things. All of the funny cat stuff. Is is, is 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 was huge for me, and also I want to talk about the scene where the cats actually bring it back to life. That's that so is, yeah, that is such it, a choice. That is they really go for it. It's so good. This at the start of the film is so unexpectedly comical. I've never seen a less well put together <laughs> version of that kind of montage of oh look at all these clues throughout history. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's no, it literally like shows you the word <laughs> Egypt. Cat, and then sh- and then pyramid, and then a woman, 
pan down to Cat next to her. Okay, now let's do that in China. Look at all cats for mystery. Yeah. And then I, I, I posted a screen grab of this on Twitter, but I really loved the moment in the middle of the film where Halle Berry is researching it and she she puts into her search engine, cat, period, women. Yeah, the, the cats... So the, there is this cat that hangs outside her apartment, which I've got to say, fully insane in that sequence early on that Patience goes out to try and rescue that cat. Yeah. It isn't even uh-huh. her cat! Just a random cat. She nearly dies. And then, yeah, and then the cat brings her back to life with lots of other cats. Um, and is fully and CG. Cats. Fully, fully CG. CG. Yeah. What a weird energy that scene has. Oh, it's the bit when the cat goes goes on her and like tip, tap, top. And also she looks quite... Like she looks quite fucked up, you know. You know, she looks really, she looks really dead. She looks kind of gnarly. And she's then been trying out of a wastepipe. No, sure, but you know, you could have. She just looks like she's dead, and then you get. Yeah. It's just really slow, and the music. It's like it's really trying to. It's like such a moment. The movie is really selling, and then and then the cat goes and look gets kind of close to her mouth. And I'm by the way for the for the listeners, I'm I'm being the cat now. I'm, I'm sort of doing it on my on my table, and then like kind of goes almost like goes to kiss her, and then it just does this breath into her. <laughs> Hilarious, really, really. And then I th- yeah, I think again, you know, it's a bit that is the equivalent, I guess, from the director of the choices that Halle Berry's making. That is, he's going like, I oh, know, I'm not, I'm not half-assing this scene. I'm gonna, I'm taking a real, I'm taking a real punt. Yeah, I need, no, I don't just need one real cat. Uh, give me like 14 <laughs> CGI cats. Yeah, uh, pit off, that's actually gonna be quite expensive. Are you sure? And he's like, yes, this, the movie requires this. The movie needs this scene to happen in this way. It needs to be a moment that people remember. And yeah, it's memorable. And this is why I don't, like, I, I said, I can't fully come out and say that this is a good performance from Halle Berry because I think it's it, I you know it just that the, the end product isn't something that makes any sense. But I completely you know I, I completely understand that that is a performance that that film has asked for. Mm-hmm. So I think she's I think I don't think it's a good performance, but I don't think it's a bad one. I think she's done her job. I. And and like I said, I think she is kind of good as patience. I think she she's you know she's compelling enough in that kind of bumbling pre become I before I become a empowered superhero vibe that we've seen a bunch of people do again and again. <laughs> I, I and, and yeah, I'm thinking and, and, of uh, Uma Thurman in the Batman film. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, and she's and, and like well, I like, say, she, the, yeah. there's there's there is. Um, there's chemistry with Benjamin Bratt. She um, somehow manages to sell the friendship with Alex Borstein, who is <laughs> a, just a truly absurd character. <laughs> really, good, really good. I love that she ends up with the Doctor at the end. That was a great. Like, here's how we leave Alex Borstein. She did. She she really did bang the Doctor from earlier. <laughs> cool. The, yeah, great. She's the only character in this movie who is as horny as the movie itself. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh... I will say, when I did say earlier that I think at least this is a film that has some concept that its lead character is female and to do something with that, I I don't think it has any 
any kind of thought or even recognition that its lead character is black. No, no. Which is quite, this... which is for its own way, actually quite cool, right? No, but I, I, <laughs> I mean it in a way that I just, I don't. It just feels like it. It feels like a character who was written white and then they cast Halle Berry, and I, I you know. I think that probably speaks to Halle Berry saying, you know, there aren't enough these kind of roles for black women because mm. there weren't. And I I don't think it's good enough to just like and you know, this is this is 17 years ago, but certainly now in 2021, I don't think it's good enough to go that character was written white, but we cast a black person and then not make any changes. Well, this is it's a sort of 90s slash noughties, like post-racial thing, right? Where we're mm. living in a period where people think, oh, racism's over, we fixed it. Mm. So the best way... Thank you. Yeah, the best way to, to deal with this is just to be completely colorblind about it. Mm. Whereas now, we would expect a film to try in some way to reflect the black experience mm. if they were casting a black woman as the lead and that's not to say she would have to fix racism or deal with racism but she would have some distinguishing characteristics that were at least related to her heritage i mean which this doesn't do a another character in her life who's black yeah for example and, and i and a i also just well I did also wonder whether the reason that Benjamin Bratt is the only other major character who is not white is because they didn't want her to have a white love interest. Hmm. That feels yeah. like when, a, when... that feels like the kind of decision that that could have been made. Yeah. I think what makes it stand out is that Alex Borstein is the whitest character in the world. <laughs> she's like she's she, she's an extra from Sex and the City. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I, I just think I, I, I think for while I will give the film some credit for reckoning with the fact that it has a female lead, yeah, it 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 barely recognises that it has a black one. Um, yeah, should we talk, should we talk about the the Francis Conroy stuff because those are some goofy fun <laughs> scenes. Oh, that was weird. That stuff's <laughs> weird. I love Francis the bit. Francis Conroy, the... obviously, recent recent star of. Uh, Joker. Oh, of course. That's how he likes to be introduced. Joker. <laughs> Introduce me as Francis Conroy. Okay, that's weird, but sure. Um, <laughs> I like the gag, the, the funny gag where the cat drinks the tea and then she goes, no, whiskers or whatever. We're not drinking caffeine. That, that's funny. Funny joke. Makes it, it makes her irritable. Yeah, good. Like it. Good joke. I have to do, I have to do that with my daughter. <laughs> I, drink a lot, I drink I drink a lot of iced coffee um and she um is constantly trying and one of the reasons I've switched from hot coffee to iced coffee generally is so I don't have burning hot cups of coffee <laughs> near her um but yeah she it, it also means she picks it up and tries to drink it really regularly and seems to like the taste <laughs> it's concerning <laughs> two days so you can no, relate no, no, so you, you're saying you relate yeah, to the, the Francis Conroy character. I, yeah, that's the that's in in a way, yeah, the most human character <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, I um, like the just unre- sort of. I want to. I, I mean that the white the white Russian joke was funny. That's because when she orders it, 
Oh we're yeah. Like, oh, that's a bit. What's what does that mean? And then uh, here's just a cup of cream. Okay, yeah, funny, funny, good joke. Because uh, they do, you know, if you want to play like Catwoman, Catwoman bingo card, you I think you kind of get like a reference to all the cat stuff. But they sort of like they kind of parcel it out across the film, uh, which I which I quite liked. And all the lines, cat got your tongue, or always under my feet. Like they, you know, again they just someone someone at the beginning of this script process has gotten a whiteboard and gone, okay. What are all the cat jokes? What are all the cat puns? We, and it's so funny, isn't it, that that's, in the movie. <laughs> that that's the thing that they zeroed in on. Because it's not like you watch Spider-Man and they're constantly going, going like, <laughs> oh, God, it feels feels like I've got six extra legs over here. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah oh, what's your take on the Catman character, writers? Oh, I take it on the Catman character that she, I don't know, makes a load of... References to that she has these cat powers. Okay, <laughs> reminds cool, me. Fine. It reminds me of Howard the Duck, where the entire world of Howard the Duck is full of duck references, and you're like, <laughs> "But everyone's a duck here. Why does that matter?" <laughs> I mean, like... I'm just throwing it out there. This is a big, big contender for the Howard T. Duck Award winner because <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, like, I cannot that like when we are comparing two bad movies here because again, I do. I do believe this to be a bad movie, but in such a more entertaining way than Electra. It just, it at least leaves you mm. with something. That's the difference I got is that having watched Catwoman, I can be like, well, I saw Catwoman and here is all the nonsense in it. Whereas you watch Electra and you go, did that movie even happen or was it just a trailer I saw? If somebody, you know, I watched Catwoman today earlier. If somebody, if a friend came around and went, hey, you want to watch, hey, Randomly, do you want to watch Catwoman tonight? I'd be like, yeah, okay, I can watch it again. That's where I am with Catwoman. Given <laughs> the choice of Electra or Catwoman, <laughs> I would absolutely go for oh, Catwoman again. God, but... I would, I would watch Catwoman fifty more times before I watch Electra again. <laughs> yeah, 100%. is that a site? Is that a podcast we could do? Is that a separate podcast? Maybe? <laughs> we watch Someone, fifty Catwomans for every one Electra. <laughs> no, at, at this point, at this point, there is. Every podcast exists, and someone has watched yes, true. Catwoman at, at least fifty times <laughs> on the podcast. It's recorded. Yeah. It's probably a South African couple, um, and they talk about it, and they also talk about their, you know, and they do it. It's, it and they do, there's also a version where they watch it a minute each week. Yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are two separate podcasts. Those are two separate groups of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they've never they've got a really intense rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah. There's there is enough in here that I think is fun. It's it's just yeah. I, I think the script is ag- aggressively crap. I think <laughs> La- Lambert Wilson, who I I kind of like, I like his. I like this. I like it when he does this shtick in the Matrix where he's got all of this elaborate dialogue. <laughs> Whereas in this, he just comes <laughs> off as the most absurd camp boss who's like oh this is disgusting disgraceful and then Sharon Stone's like oh I'll leave her alone it's not her fault whatever (laughs) and there are quite a lot of scenes that end with that with a a character just going um but anyway let's talk about something else now (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah I I think he's I think he's maybe the worst performance in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he sucks. He sucks. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's like he's like the shit Christoph Waltz. He, that's what he is. He's he's like, yes, oh, this is what fair. this is. If Christoph Waltz made all the wrong choices, maybe like you have, but actually he made the right choices. <laughs> the but I do, I, I, 
I think he is, he's set up as such a comical villain that the, I mean, well, weirdly, it's weird that the film tips its hand and shows us, the audience, that Sharon Stone is the one behind it. Yes, yes. During Halle Berry's death scene, because otherwise mm. I think it would be quite a good reveal. And I think mm-hmm. it would be quite an interesting, um, like, audience response thing, where, where you go as an audience member, oh yeah, I did, did I just assume that it was him? Mm-hmm. Did I just did I just assume that she couldn't have anything to do with this? Um, yeah, like that, I said, I, I think mean... I think Sharon Stone's also good at this. I think that you you get a sense that she's bringing a bit of real world experience to this and going, yeah, it's fucking bullshit, isn't it? That I turn mm-hmm. forty and uh, and you don't want me, you know, you don't want me to be in Basic Instincts anymore. Y- you'll you, you know maybe it's, this is the first thing that I've had an invite extended to for years. Well, there's that scene where, like, where they turn off the, they change the screen to be the new girl, and then you see the other, the other, these other guys like bring pictures in front of Sharon Stone, like take pictures of her out of the office, and it's on the nose. But then, I mean, this movie, this movie is very much on the nose. But uh, I, I like that bit. The thing I like that the I was thinking, of the right? office. The, sure. the thing I was thinking is, if they if they had had a woman to direct this movie, I think the script might have mm. been executed much better. Like, this is one of those things where you can sort of say some of the themes and ideas here are good, but what they needed was someone aware of them to bring them to the screen. And what what they got was someone who was just like, the selling point of this film is Halle Berry is hot. Let's put her in as little clothes as possible. <laughs> Whereas if they'd had a woman to go like, oh yeah, I can see some themes here with regards to, you know, the treatment of women and the use of cosmetics. And like you say, the the twist about who was actually the the villain being something that people might overlook if it wasn't shown to them. Yeah. I, I get the sense that the director was hired and was only interested in the VFX stuff. Yeah. And... Well, this is one of the things that I find interesting about both Elektra and Catwoman, which is that neither of them had even a, a sort of serviceable career, and yet they end up being given these massive mm-hmm. budgets to mm-hmm. do superhero movies. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, even Mark Steven Johnson had some stuff behind him that made you think, oh, I might be able to do a Daredevil movie. Right? Although weirdly, although weirdly that, you know, isn't that what happens now with the MCU? Like, you know, people get plucked from, with uh, with, with credits that don't really yeah, give them the experience also, to make that kind of movie. Also, uh, Marvel's model is that they have such huge teams who are already making the movie before the, <laughs> before the director yeah. even gets hired. I, like, I, and I think the, I think the model now is... Oh, you've made that one interesting thing that has got us your attention. Now here is the property. Yeah, Marvel's um, thing is we we've got the VFX side covered. Get someone who can do character and story, and we will have our team shepherd you through making a big blockbuster. Just don't expect to make any big choices yourself because Kevin Feige's already done it. <laughs> Which is fine because it means these people, you know, we get good movies at the end of it. It's not like they were going to get, you know, um, I'm trying to think of, it's not like the Russos would have been handed Avengers and just completely hands off, right? Mm. 
like there's there's a process designed to to make get those movies made that wasn't in place for these ones right yeah it seems really odd to me yeah pitoff had only directed one film prior to this it was called vidoc um it starred uh gerard depardieu um so yeah i don't i don't know whether that was a big hit or was particularly well known at the time but i do get i get the sense that he was yeah he was brought in as the vfx guy um yeah i don't know yeah i i I think i think this film does halle berry dirty um i think that the the lessons that this film taught hollywood are absurd um and (laughs) hopefully we're past that hopefully are you I don't think that. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't. You know. No, I think we that, haven't. What, we haven't had enough female-led superhero films to yes. say we're definitively past it. No, I think no. Wonder and, Woman. Uh, Wonder Woman two was awful, and it doesn't seem to have done any massive damage to the idea of superhero films starring women. Because so of I COVID, hope. Though, I mean, the the, the, the bo- well, and actually, maybe Joe, to, to your point. I mean, you know, I, I, I wonder whether the, the box office will ever be. Uh, will ever be a uh, you know a meaningful number to the public. I, I mean, more culturally, <clears throat> is that <clears throat> Wonder Woman two sucked, but <clears throat> no one saying like, oh, I guess Wonder Woman was a fluke and you can't do superhero films starring women anymore. And like, I speak as someone who thought Captain Marvel was just fine. Yeah, same. Yeah, like those those films not being Black Panther haven't killed the idea of women starring in superhero films yeah so I, I, I think we're past it i hope we're past, what i really hope is that we are not in this kind of i can't remember it might have been it might have been regina king maybe that was talking about this i'm not i'm, I'm not 100 sure i read an interview recently and there was an actor saying basically like i really hope that all of this representation that's happening at the moment where you know you know people from different ethnic backgrounds have been given the opportunity to write, direct, star in films with a large budget from studios. Um, and we are, we're, we're starting to see more representation that that isn't just a fad that they're able to make money out of right now. And that it won't be something that in four or five years that maybe where it's a little bit, a little bit less fashionable that we start to go back to just giving giving all the movies back to the old guard. Um, I, think <laughs> I, think... Pro- I think we're probably not, but I, I, I'm not confident enough to say that with certainty. It's, I think it's possible it might backslide, but I think, you know, every step forward will inevitably result in more steps forward eventually. Mm. Like, just the fact of Black Panther means that there are going to be, you know, black actors and black filmmakers out there whose conception of what they can achieve is now bigger than it would have been because they can go well if one person has done it i can be the next person and so that is going to result in more superhero films of that type getting made eventually i wonder if part of what part of what the fear is is you kind of (laughs) you look at america and go hey you got barack obama and then you got donald trump um and so yeah. like you you know you got your black pe- president don't you think that means you're going to get your female one now 
Um, you can go back to having someone who's an even worse overreaction. So I, I can kind but of equally, understand. I can understand why people have that lingering fear of: is this too good to be true? Yeah, yeah, but that's like that's on a micro or that's on a smaller scale, right? Because you've had Barack Obama. There will be a, another black president, probably within our lifetimes, right? And there will be a third so. and a fourth and a fifth. So. The fact that it's happened once means that it happens again and there are going to be more people coming up who are more ready to accept that idea and more ready to work towards it. And so I think the same is true of movies. Like he, Even if it backslides a bit, it's ultimately heading in the right direction. I, I wonder what would have happened if one of these movies had been good. <laughs> or, or even one of these movies had been bad, but it made money. But I do think yes. it's I do think it's also particularly interesting that I, I mean James you you're completely right that I think this would be a different film made by a woman but I think both of them would be interesting just or more interesting if they weren't made completely with a male gaze. Mm-hmm. Like Electra's not what you know you're not watching Electra and going oh god they really want me to realize how dreamy Goran Viznich is. <laughs> like there's a bit of that with Benjamin Bratt but mostly it's just God, look at how hot our superhero is and that wasn't happening with Wolverine and Peter Parker <laughs> it wasn't it just wasn't was yeah, it a bit, it's happening a bit with Wolverine not not, not to the same extent no like, no no <laughs> and, and, and also no I, I don't think it even was it was like look at this gruff guy like when you know the sex appeal for Spider-Man is Let's have Mary Jane in the strappy top in the rain. Mm. Like that's the that's the sexy moment from that film. And let's take the the male superhero and and cover every single inch of his entire skin. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. just cover him up one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that's the costume, right? But you know, and I don't I don't think we're you know I don't think we're completely there. I don't think we've we've got you know. Well, no, we're obviously not completely there because you know we're still talking about you know. Wonder Woman and Black Widow and Captain Marvel and that's about it. And you know, I, you do wonder as well. Like, great, Shang Chi's the first Asian American superhero. Okay, what well, uh, will we get another one? Yeah, I mean, so part of me was thinking actually, like when you said, "What if one of these films had been good?" I was thinking, like, "Oh yeah, what would Marvel have done if one of these films had been good?" And the answer is they wouldn't have had anything because they weren't. You know, the the process of getting Captain Marvel on screen started sort of five years before when they went, we need to redesign this character and relaunch her as someone, you know, who could carry a movie. So, like, hmm. if, you know, if Catwoman had been a hit and Elektra had been a hit, where would they have gone next? There's not really anywhere they could have gone. She-Hulk is probably their biggest character and, you know, there are, there are troubles... We're well, getting She-Hulk on the screen. They would have done no. Wonder Woman. Uh, Marvel, right, though. Marvel. Who, what would Marvel have done, for example? Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Like, their their biggest female character after, you know, She-Hulk and Elektra is Storm. Mm. Well, and, and, and look at the X-Men with that cast that they had from the original trilogy. It went, mm-hmm. what should we do next? And they, the first two things they explored were Wolverine and Magneto prequels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just think it, it's 
it's a good evidence of forward progression that you know if those if two female-led superhero films came out today and were smashes they could go okay let's put Ms. Marvel on screen let's do it now yeah and like they could just do it and it's interesting that as well that a lot of the a lot of the representation that that you know the MCU or these superhero movies are going towards is you know that they're reimagining characters from the page to be different ethnicities for example or re reimagining them to be a different gender because the source material doesn't have that breadth of characters so you have yeah. a you have a character like ghost and ant-man and the wasp who has been gender mm-hmm. and race flipped or i guess you know we've got another an, another african-american Catwoman coming um and and, and a Latina Supergirl, and uh, it, hmm. like I said, I think I don't think it's good enough just to say they're a different race now. I think you need to, you know, reconceptualize that character to understand, you know, how how that plays into them as a character. Um, but it's good, I because I, I, I kind of think that's the that's the only way you can do it in in like the DC and Marvel universes, you have to change the race of these characters because so many of the historic ones are all white. Yeah. Well, like, I, I and, mean, and, and I... the same thing with the same thing with Disney princesses, right? That Disney have just cast. Um, I mean, it's the girl who plays, who's going to play Maria in West side story. They've just cast her as um, Snow White in a live action movie. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, yeah, that's probably, that's probably the thing you should be doing and figuring out different ways mm. to tell these stories because actually, like, prior to the last 20 years, yeah, you didn't, you did, all of your, all of your, all of your princesses yeah. well, were that, white. This is the so thing, when you're right? doing these live action remakes, that's the only choice you've got. Like, there are, there are two arguments and one is that, like, you should, you should make new characters of different races and genders so that, so that those people have, you know, someone to to aim for, like some hero that they can identify with and and play. But also, you could just cast someone who is black as Superman, and that would potentially change the, you know, the tone and the experience of the character. But also, Superman's existed for so long; it's not like you yeah. can just create another Superman. And we're so in an it, era it's fine where... to do both. You you don't have to restrict yourself to one or the other. Yes, yeah, like, absolutely. Black people can play Superman and you can create new black characters who they can play as well. It's allowed. And in the era when um, so much stuff is adaptation of IP, mm-hmm. it's not always possible to just create those new characters. Yeah, exactly. Because like, when yeah. people say, oh, you know, just, just create a new Latino Spider-Man, it's like, well, you can't just do that. It takes time. Like, Spider-Man was made, you know, in the 60s. <laughs> that was a long time ago. It's going to take a while for to build up another Spider-Man. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you could do it that easily, they would have done it. <laughs> like, one of the things about all those 60s Marvel characters is they were kind of lightning in a bottle. Like, they came along at the right time to become massive cultural figureheads you can't just snap your fingers and create a new version of them well i think we're moving in the right direction we're certainly we're certainly a long way from where we were in 2004 2005 with these two movies um and you know um 
I think part of it is that Hollywood has figured out how to make these superhero movies where they have a base level of competence. <laughs> like there, there aren't there aren't many high profile fuck ups anymore, or certainly there haven't been since Simon Kimbo's not been producing. It. <laughs> So even even Dark Phoenix like is telling a sort of basically competent story. I think Catwoman's better than Dark <laughs> Phoenix. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe it's more interesting. I'm not sure it's better. Yeah, I think at some point I'm going to end up rewatching Catwoman. Like it's it is. Yeah, like I say I cannot yeah. make I cannot make any argument for it being good. But it is, it's fascinating, and there are at least good things in it. Yeah, Camp I agree with that. I'm, I'm, going, I'm calling it now. It's, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be revisited in the future. We are just I'm actually first. surprised that, it, that it's not mm. more of a meme now. Maybe we, need to, yeah. maybe we need to reclaim it in meme form. <laughs> yeah, that's a good look. Three white dudes. <laughs> let's, for, for us, let's for us reclaim uh, the Halle Berry starring 2004 film Catwoman. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll keep my focus on Howard the Duck and I'll let someone else do that. <laughs> there you go, there you go. <laughs> okay, so that was Catwoman and Elektra. Um, we did talk about Elektra, didn't we? That's did we the one with the... Abby? Uh, no, what's her name? Sean? Who's the girl? There was a girl yeah. in it and there's a sword. <laughs> yes. Good, yeah, so. good, great Ugh. film. What a great film. Electra? We never have to watch it again. Egg? <laughs> James, do you have any comic book recommendations based on either Electra or um, Catwoman? Um, I mean, probably nothing that I've, that I've not talked about before. I think um, Electra, you have to go back to Frank Miller's stuff. Um, both two... So, I mean, I don't think I've ever recommended Electra Assassin, which is Frank Miller doing a completely solo um, Electra story with Bill Sienkiewicz. It's a bit more adult. It's a bit less sort of steeped in uh, the the comics lore. Because, um, you know, it's, it's designed to stand alone. And it's a really... You know, back in the days when Frank Miller was... <laughs> was uh, not a cultural joke. Hmm. Um, so and I think Cat- I think that's a good that's a good choice. Um Cat- well, Catwoman in the past you recommended me that series that I think was it Slam Bradley was the was it it was a Catwoman solo series where Carol he Cook? was like I can't remember I remember liking it. <laughs> uh I mean I don't think that was me who recommended it because I've never. Yeah, ever I mean, it was a D- it was a DC one, so it was probably Seb, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I think if I was going to recommend a Catwoman comic, I would go with. Um... God, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think who's written a good Catwoman comic. It's um, the Darwin Cook was... one, isn't it? I swear. That's I was going to say that... Darwin. Darwin right? Cook is the one that springs to mind Sorry. for me. Yeah. Yes. Um... She, I remember her being very good in Hush as well. Um, mm. Like that's a that's a good sort of Selena Kyle story as well. Um, all the Tom Kings that all the Tom King run recently, like was almost a, a, a you know a book, almost a Catwoman co lead book, right? 
Yeah. It was all about their relationship. And any of Ed Brubaker's ones are really good because he mm. he sort of reimagines, well, not reimagines, reworks the character to be a bit more modern. Um, sort of plays at the thief angle, uh, gives her some good relationships with, you know, other female characters. I, I think those are the ones to look for. Darwin Cook and Ed Brubaker. If those names are on the book, you can you can be fairly confident that they're going to be good comics. And just just briefly back to Electra, not to step on your toes, James, but the current Daredevil book is is stars Electra as Daredevil. Very good point. Yeah, and that's the a current... really and that's a really good take on Daredevil on Electra on, on Daredevil. Excellent. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, Chip Starsky's Daredevil. Um, she only recently took over the lead role, but that that whole Daredevil book is great. And as Ree says, at the moment, uh, Electra is is the Daredevil of Hell's Kitchen. So I'm not sure where it's going, but I'm enjoying it. It's one of, again, we say all the time Daredevil has these great runs, but it is one of the best runs on Daredevil that's that's come around for a while. I could see okay. that. I could see a, an MCU version of that in, in the... 100%. Movement. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Fun. Okay, so we move on to our final section, which is the pitch. Reese, what pitch have you got for us today? Um, okay, uh, let's do, just pitch me a, a sort of 20 years later sequel to either Electra or Catwoman. <laughs> Who's going first? James, you oh, God. go first. Um, okay, so my 20 years later sequel for Electra is... Why that one? Um, she is head of the hand mm-hmm. okay. um and trying to make this crazy order of assassins do some good in the world instead of killing people and it all stems back from that time when she couldn't bring herself to murder the target okay interesting for some reason and would you would you obviously <laughs> would would abby and and goran visnich you know presumably they 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 play have a part to play in Terrence Stamp. Is Terrence Stamp alive? Terrence no, Terrence, Terrence Stamp appears as a force ghost. <laughs> Great, love it. Uh, Joe Joseph R. Cunningham. Um, so I'm going to I'm I'm, I'm going to do a, an Electra sequel where what? in the intervening twenty years um, she has gone back to Hell's Kitchen. She's got married to Ben Affleck. Uh, to Daredevil, it, it 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 doesn't work out. They split up, and um, he's hanging out with J Lo. He starts hanging out with his ex girlfriend again. She's not thrilled about it, and so she goes off and has a fun side adventure with Colin Farrell's Bullseye. Uh, except um, he's now costumed like he's going to be costuming that upcoming whole fisherman drama that I'm obsessed with the picture of him in. <laughs> What? <laughs> okay, so there's something with Stephen Graham and Colin Farrell, and Colin Farrell <laughs> looks absolutely magnificent, and I can't stop looking at the pictures. <laughs> okay. okay, so that really, the, the, Joey, your answer was just more. It's just your your you're describing your thirst trap for Colin Farrell. So that's it's just that's barely an answer. So so that the win has to go to James. <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> Um, but thank you both. Uh, what a wonderful segment. And what It's fun to do and fun to think about and fun to award these prizes that I'd love to do every week. 
If you would uh, like to hear some more of this scintillating conversation, then head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can subscribe to us for uh, $3 a month and you get a weekly bonus episode. At the moment, those bonus episodes are focused on Loki. We've done the first three episodes. You can find them on there if you subscribe today and then there'll be a new one dropping next week. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, then subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Um, also, drop us a rating and review. That would be great. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, we are at Cine underscore Verse. I'm Joe Cunningham 14. James is at James Hunt and Reese is at Reese. You can email us at podcast at cinematicuniverse.com. We will be back in two weeks um, and wait around until after the credits to hear what we'll be covering. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Before I was an Avenger, I made mistakes and a lot of enemies. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Black Widow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.